get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. Go the runners, and DeYoung sends one out to deep center field. Akiyama back, gone! Grand slam, Paul DeYoung! His first grand slam in the big leagues. Good morning, welcome in. It's Reeves and BK on 101 ESPN. How about Paul DeYoung? How about this lineup? We've got some big bats here in St. Louis. It's about time. Paul Goldschmidt, Paul DeYoung, the two Paulies coming in in a big way last night. The Cardinals now have three players in their lineup with an OPS above 850. They've got Paul Goldschmidt, who's been one of the best hitters in baseball this year, an OPS over 1,000. Brad Miller, because, of course, our guy Millsy just crushing it, a 924 OPS on the year. And Paul DeYoung now getting back to being himself an 872 OPS on the season. Jamie, Ferrario, all offseason, the talk was, do the Cardinals have the middle of the order to be able to really compete in the National League? I'm here to tell you they absolutely do. Now, they might not have the bottom of the order to go along (laughs) with it, but as much as we talked about this struggling offense, it's not as bad as we think it is. And here's why. If you look at the Cardinals from like one through seven in their lineup, they have not been good, but they've been okay, especially with this pitching staff. And we'll get to Dakota Hudson's performance here in just a minute. He was miraculous last night. If you look at just the top of the lineup, they've been okay this year. The bottom of the lineup, though, and then I'm going to include Colton Wong in this. With runners in scoring position this month, three for 14 for Colton Wong. Dylan Carlson is three for 22 with runners in scoring position this month. And Tyler O'Neill this month with runners in scoring position is two for 19. Every single other player in the lineup batting at least 250 in those situations. That's good enough. Paul DeYoung last night, first career Grand Slam, coming through with runners in scoring position. That's what they need to see more of moving forward. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Look, we talked about that in depth for a couple of shows now where they're getting some people on the bases. They're just not pushing them around the bases and certainly not getting them home. And if they can manage to do that, that changes their offense drastically. And the middle of the order with with Goldschmidt, DeYoung, and and Millsy there – 
That's exactly what you're expecting in the middle of the order. That's what you're wanting anyways. And I think that if they can continue to do that, it will put pressure on the other teams to, you know, they've got to try and capitalize or give pitches to the bottom of the order. The bottom of the order has got to start moving some guys around here. Too many times I'm watching these guys up at bat and not able to put guys across the plate, not able to finish it out the right way or hitting into double plays or into plays that eliminate the momentum that you have. And right now that's just got to change. If the Cardinals are going to seriously make a push because we know that they have the pitching and yeah, the defense has been up and down and all around, but that's in my opinion, that's circumstances revolving around COVID and players playing all over the place at the same uh, during this comeback for theirs. If they can put together some, some steady offense, and just put some guys across the plate. It changes everything. The one thing I will say about the middle of the order is this is if they can keep this going, it becomes a lot more effective. Look, Paul Goldschmidt is getting walked a lot more than what he is used to. I mean, he is just he's not seeing pitches. It reminds you of a lot of what Bobby Abreu went through, doesn't it? He's just not seeing them. If Milsey and DeYoung can keep this up to where they make the pitcher pay for walking Goldschmidt, it becomes a lot more dangerous of a batting order. If you see that dip, then Paul Goldschmidt's going to see a lot more balls, and you want to see this guy be able to get those contact hits. I would like to see, and I was just watching last night, I'd like to see what Colton Wong could do if you dropped him down towards the bottom of the lineup. And I'm not saying to demote him, but I'm saying to give more speed down there to try and make it look like an extension of the top of the order. So how do you do that, though? Sorry, BK. How do you do that, though? Because what I've learned so far in baseball, which I have extensive knowledge, by the way, we all know that. Uh, What I've learned in baseball is that it's not always what's best for the team for the batting order. It's like who you don't want to hurt their feelings. Because if you take Colton Wong and drop him to eighth or ninth, well, he's coming to the field, and I don't know him personally. That player, player X, might come to the field with uh, the droopy bottom lip and be kind of pouting because he's at the bottom of the order. Meanwhile, to your point, Alex, it might improve the team drastically to have some speed out there at the bottom of the order but they don't view it that way. So how do you do that, I guess, is my question. How do you move pieces around without egos getting bruised and not taking it personally? That's the job of the manager. Yeah. It's Mike Schilt. That's what he's here for. That is what we have been told and we believe that he's good at, right, is managing that clubhouse. And if he views this as something that if he were to move Colton Wong in the lineup, he would lose Colton Wong, then you can't move you, you can't. He's he's not been good at the plate this year so far. He's at a 333 on base percentage. He's slugging 256. There is basically no extra base hits coming from him, and he's batting 220 on the year. It's not good enough. He needs to be better. Absolutely. I, I agree with you, Ferrario. I wrote down my lineup that I would like to see moving forward. I could see either Edmund or Wong batting leadoff and put the other one batting ninth. I got no issue either way, so that way you've kind of got those back-to-back leadoff hitters whenever you get later into the innings. I kind of like what Danny Mack told us during the crossover. I like the idea of Carlson batting second. That's what I've always wanted to see. I think see. he's got to go somewhere different, guys. I know he's the young guy and he's not doing great right now at the plate, but he's really not a threat. You don't have to give him anything good to hit. Where he's at right now in the order, these pitchers can play with garbage all day long and they don't they don't care. What's the difference? Big deal if I walk him, big deal if I don't, because nobody's pushing these runners around. I think if you do put him up in a two 
Heck, even a right four. in front of Goldie, so or even a four right after Goldie, and then you follow that up with DeYoung. Like, I like the middle of the lineup that they have right now. I I would go Goldie, DeYoung, Miller in whatever order you want those three to be in. I think that should be your heart of the order because those are clearly your three best hitters right now. And then I would put Fowler. I would move him up. I would put him sixth right now. Yadi seventh. Whoever that last outfielder slash Matt Carpenter is, I would put them eighth. Carpenter right now doesn't have an everyday job. He doesn't. Yeah. Brad Miller has been better yeah. than him. With Millsy's production, he's been he's been too good to take him out of the lineup. Tommy Edmond is too too much of an upgrade defensively to take him out of third base. Carpenter can play every once in a while if you need to get a guy a day off. But right now, I, I think that's your lineup. I think you go Wong or Edmond, whoever you want leadoff, whoever the other one is, you bat them ninth. You go Carlson batting second, Goldie, DeYoung, Miller, however you want to fit those three in there. Fowler, Yachty, and then the last outfield slash Carpenter goes in there at, at the eighth spot. Here's the thing with Carlson and number two, why I think it's such a good idea. I mean, one, you see how hard he's hitting those balls. Like, you see the contact rate for Dylan Carlson, but it takes a lot more pressure off of him, I think, to where you put him. I know you're putting him up there and you need to get on base because you got Goldschmidt, but you got a switch hitter. You got a guy who, if you can get Tommy Edmond back to that clip rating of getting on base, you just put Dylan Carlson in a spot to just go up there and hit. Advance the runner. Even if you're not getting on base, you're advancing Tommy Edmond. You're taking it to the outfield. Rather than keep him in the 6, 7, 8, 9 spot, where he's coming up with these runners in scoring position. And I'm not saying he can't handle it, but I, I just think as a switch hitter, if you can go back-to-back switch hitters with Tommy Edmond and Dylan Carlson, and then get into the heart of that order, which is a right-right-left or a right-left-right, you're going to start throwing some curveballs at the pitcher, and I think that's a benefit to the Cardinals' offense. I think that's the way to do it. I, I love moving him up, and I know it sounds almost counterproductive because he's been the guy that's been struggling so much, and now you're going to give him more at-bats. Why would you do that? The reason is because we've all seen what the problems are. He's getting so much off speed. And now I heard earlier today, um, Ricky Horton was on with Carriker and Smallman, and he said he's too late on the fastball and too early on the off speed stuff. And now he's second guessing himself every time he comes up to the plate. Well, if you're batting in front of Goldschmidt, suddenly you're going to get better pitches to hit, or at least that's the idea behind it. So maybe you allow him to get a little bit of his timing back. I like Danny Mac's idea too. give him a day off today. And then you get him back in that lineup and bat him second, give him a day to refresh, and then maybe you give him a new spot in the order to get himself more comfortable again. That's what I would do there. Now, the reason why all of this, why I said all you need is an average offense is because the pitching has been so damn good, guys. Adam Wainwright looks like a vintage version of Wayno. Jack Flaherty's Jack Flaherty. And last night, I thought, was the most encouraging sign that we've seen yet. Dakota Hudson was awesome. And we are something seeing something new here. I know I talked earlier this season about the changes that we had seen from Tyler O'Neill's approach mm-hmm. uh, didn't exactly take for the rest of the season. But Dakota Hudson, we are seeing him throwing breaking balls at a rate that we had never seen previously. His first season in the bigs, 2018, threw breaking balls 10% of the time. Last year, threw breaking balls 10% of the time. It has jumped to 23% of the time this year. He's throwing sliders and curveballs, and that's throwing everybody off at the plate. We are seeing a different pitcher. And the result of this, Jamie, last night of his 19 sliders, 15 of them got swings. Of those 15 swings, seven of them were swings and misses. 
He is now starting to get the strikeouts that he did not get a year ago. He is having command of the strike zone because now he is not picking his spots as much. He's just throwing. He's pitching out there. Dakota Hudson's a guy that they can build around. And if this is who he's going to be, if he's got more of a repertoire as opposed to just his sinker ball that he can handle, this is a guy that could be a legitimate number two or three starter for years to come for this team. Well, the Cardinals desperately need it, first of all. You know, you've got your ace in Jack Flaherty, and right now you've got your 1B ace in Adam Wainwright, which, you know, look, I think we're all pleasantly surprised with that. Uh, KK, to be determined, he's had a couple of good outings. I'm anxious to see what he can do tonight, if he can take this into six or seven innings and give the bullpen rest again. If you can go three pitchers in a row that can go deep into your ball game, let alone the complete game by Adam Wainwright, you're really helping your bullpen and you're helping your team's chances for when there are some struggles. But yeah, Dakota Hudson, if he can continue this and solidify a top three spot as one of the Cardinals starters, I think it starts to answer some questions for you. So then when you look down at four and five moving forward, not just this year, but next season and beyond, you start to look at that and go, you know what? Here's what we've got here. Because Adam Wainwright, let's just stop fooling around. He'll be back again next year. It might be his last year next year, but he'll be back next year. And if he's any version of what he is right now, even if he's not in the top three, he's in your top five somewhere. But Dakota Hudson continuing to trend in the right direction. That's a huge help for your rotation. It's a 16 game winner last year. I mean, this was a guy that was important for your rotation and he's different than the other guys. He's not the swing and miss Jack Flaherty. He's not the veteran like Wainwright or a KK. He's a guy who gets ground balls. He makes the infield work, but he frustrates the hell out of the opposition at the bat at the plate. And it's a guy who doesn't maximize as many pitches if he's on his game. Like he can go seven innings for you and not throw a hundred pitches. So it's a benefit to this team. If this guy continues to perform this way, which again, what this is his third full season in the major leagues. Like this is a trend in the right direction that people aren't talking a lot about last year though it was unsustainable what he did too many walks got a ton of contact what he did a year ago i was concerned for what it was going to mean this year 16 games won no arguing with that but he was a different pitcher than what i think the numbers show this year the cardinals right now have four pitchers with a whip below one and an era below three for starters with a whip below one and ERA below three. That is a dominant staff that they are throwing out there right now. If they can continue that and the order, the batting lineup looks like this, just need it to be average. Suddenly you're looking at a legitimate contender in the National League. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 11:15. your time check. Brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up around 11.30, we're going to catch up with Jeremy Rutherford. He had an interesting report yesterday that a member of the Blues front office is up for a GM job for the Florida Panthers. But coming up next, big game last night. Big time player came through. Do the Blues miss that player? We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Led back over to Shattenkirk, then on to Hedman. Moving on. He's got He's gone. Another big play audio courtesy of NBC Sports Network. He did not score the goal, but Jamie, I couldn't help. 
but watch that replay. Are we sure he didn't score that, that goal? That fat man was in front of the net, though. It like, could have hit him. Are we sure? Because that puck, to me, it changed direction. So now he understands how to play the game. Now Jamie Whoa. understands how to play. Are we sure? Whoa. Are we oh. sure? Yeah, but I didn't throw a negative. <laughs> you are did. We, are we sure, sure that Pat Maroon didn't score? I thought you meant hockey <laughs> there for a minute. What you said? Yeah, I thought we meant. I thought he meant hockey there, and I'm like, oh man, somebody's Shut gonna up, get BK. punched right now. Never mind. Are we sure it didn't hit him? Are we sure? No, we're, we're not. And I'm not sure about anything. It feels anymore, like, especially you. Power through this year. <laughs> I feel like every time you get into a big moment in a must-win game and a playoff series, Pat Maroon's coming through in the biggest possible moment. Double overtime, a closeout game for the Tampa Bay Lightning last night, and he came through, the Lightning came through. They're moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals now. I wanted to bring this up because I find it interesting the type of player that Pat Maroon is, the contract that he got from the Tampa Bay Lightning this year being less than a million dollars, and what we talked about so much from the Blues this postseason of what they were missing. It felt like we brought his name up more than we brought up some of the names of the players on the actual team because he's a guy that's going to get in front of the net. He's got that personality that I know Ferrario's talked so much about where he keeps things light in the locker room. Jamie, after watching him last night and after what we saw from the Blues this year, and now we know Tarasenko is going to be out for at least uh, some period of time, so they've got an open spot on the wing. Would you be interested next year in bringing back Pat Maroon? Well, the answer is yes. Of course, I would be interested. Now, where it gets tricky in all of this is, first of all, Pat Maroon, uh, he's had a, he had a really good regular season, but the playoffs come and he just dials it in. And he does. He gets under opponent's skin. And the, the, the most frustrating thing about a Pat Maroon is he's chirping you, he's chirping you, and you're chirping back. But then, like, what are you going to do about it? Like, really, it's like when Ryan Reeves does his thing with Vegas, like he's chirping. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, shut up. OK, but what are you going to do about it? By the also, way, did you see Reeves chirp Travis Green the other yeah, night? I wasn't impressed with that. Oh, I thought it was. I awesome. didn't think it was good. You know why? Because neither guy can actually get at each other. It's an unfair playing field. I don't like it from the coach and I don't like it from the player. You know what I did love, though? Last night, middle of the game, he's getting into it with one of the Bruins. And as the Bruins player is getting pissed off by Pat Maroon. He's just sitting there smiling up against the boards, just smiling back in his face. It was great. He's fought Zidane Ochara, I think, more than any other person in the NHL ever has. I think he's fought him like four times or five times. So if you're willing to do that, well, who are you worried about after that, right? And, And look, Pat Maroon, to get back to your original question without going too far off into the weeds on this, I think he would be a nice addition. Now, here's what happened with the Blues, and I don't blame Doug Armstrong a bit. I love Pat Maroon. He's a dear friend of mine. But I also saw the GM side of it, too, where you got to make room for some of these younger guys. You can't just keep hanging on to one-year deals to guys and at the same time, you know, crippling your development for guys. The same thing we say for the Cardinals. Yeah, well, Sammy Blay was a guy that you wanted to see take steps. You wanted him to be the Pat Maroon. And he does have the capability of getting there at some point as far as his actual skills go, his body checking, his his puck abilities, maybe not his hands, because Pat Maroon has some of the best stick handling I've ever seen from a big man in the game, ever. But you're not going to find a guy that has that attitude, that attitude of keeping the room light, knowing when to... You know, rip somebody with a joke or knowing when to rip somebody and get everybody back in line, getting out on the ice, getting the other team's kitchen. All of that is a talent that you can't develop like that's something you either have it or you don't. And I think that's the part that pushback mentality that we don't really care who you are. 
that mentality of Pat Maroon, I do think that any team in the NHL would be happy to have him. But I do think the Blues missed that specifically this year in you know post pause after they came back. If you want some good humor, go back and look at what Boston Bruins fans were saying about Pat Maroon mm-hmm. on Twitter last night. Like it was enjoyable. It, it's it's a special kind of person that can not only piss off a team on the ice, but can piss off a fan base in the game. And that's what <laughs> Pat Maroon does. But that's what every team lacks. I mean, look, the Dallas Stars have Jamie Ben. He does the exact same thing. Ryan Reeves with the Las Vegas Golden Knights. For worth, Perron does that too. Perron the Blues does, do have a little bit of that. It's different. Obviously, he's he's not an enforcer nobody, type of player. I love David but. Perron, and he again a good friend of mine. But nobody's worried about David Perron. Yeah, like, Roussel will throw a, someone will throw a punch at Perron in a heartbeat. Yeah, like Dominic Roussel or whatever. Antoine Roussel. Antoine, yeah. like Dominic was the goalie. Yeah. An- Antoine Roussel in Vancouver. He's not worried about you know, yeah. David Perron. Like he's going to jaw at him and stuff. Pat Maroon is going to keep you awake at night, kind of looking out your, the side of your well, eye. Well, look what Roussel did to to Mackenzie or to Sammy Blay. That wouldn't happen if that was Pat Maroon, and that's what Pat Maroon brings to the team. And I, I mean, look, it's no coincidence that Tampa lost Kucherov, lost Stamkos, lost Hedman for a little bit, and still found a way to take out the Columbus Blue Jackets and now eliminate the Boston Bruins. There's an element that's the same that the Blue had and it's somebody that keeps people away from thinking that it's another grinding hockey game this is fun for these guys pat maroon provides that i also jamie you said you don't want him to be a uh, a stopper basically right a, a progress stopper i think the player that you would replace with pat maroon is not one of the young guys it's alex steen if, if they're going to move on, and, and it's not a one-for-one one replacement. You've got Clem Costin knocking at the door right yeah. now, who's a power forward left winger. You've got your Sammy Blay. You've got Zach Sanford. You've got a Pagansky. you got Pagansky. So automatically, by default, Alexander Steen, without Pat Maroon in the equation, Alexander Steen is kind of a, for lack of better words, casualty of the lineup in the bottom six. And the one thing that Steen provides that Maroon nor any of those younger players provide is he is one of your best penalty killers. And you need that guy. I mean, we saw that in the postseason. You need that guy on the ice for you. You can only have so many veteran guys, right? Like you can only but are have... they going to trust any of these young guys? Because that's the other thing. Okay, like we got to the BK, postseason the and suddenly you run they didn't into trust any of them. Is if you keep going back to the old, and this is what they used to do back in my day, okay? My day. Back in my day. <laughs> but this is true. <laughs> veteran guys hung on forever and you ended up with a team that was so old at the end because everybody's like well he's a good veteran presence he's a good veteran presence and your young guys were just absolutely slowed down their progress was almost null and void and then they got thrown into the fire and they weren't what everybody expected and they were you know a one and done type prospect the nhl has changed with that to your point i'm not saying that pat maroon wouldn't fit on this team I think it's a unique role for him. I think that you would have to replace another veteran guy would have to go out to your point. So if out, they're losing Steen and Bozak, eventually you got to have guys in the bottom six. But they're that not you losing them yet. I, right. And, and I'm, I'm under the assumption that they're probably going to have like they got to make room somehow if they're going to bring back Alex Petrangelo. And if they don't bring back Petrangelo, we've got other conversations <laughs> to have, of course. But I'm trying to operate under the assumption Petro's back. You're going to have to clear some cap space. Those are the two guys that make the most sense among your forwards to move out. Well, yeah. now you've, you've we know Craig Burby. We've seen this guy coach now for a year and a half. He trusts veterans more so sometimes than these young guys. You can have young guys in the lineup. 
But you don't want your entire bottom six to be consisting of exclusively young guys going into next year. No, but you also don't want to have it stockpiled with veteran guys who slow the game and, down. And who are those veterans, though? Well, I'm asking Sunquist, in all seriousness. Sunquist and Barbashev right now are the two staples for a third and fourth line for you. And look, as of right now, if they don't upgrade for a top six winger, Robert Thomas is going to move up there. So Sunquist is going to be your third line center. Mm-hmm. Barbashev is going to be your fourth line center. And But who are the other old guys on those lines? Well, I don't see them getting rid of Bozak and Steve. I, exactly. I see them getting rid of Bozak, and I see Steen being a fourth-line player for you. I but mean, how look, are they creating the money? Well, Bozak and Allen create that space for Petrangelo. You'd need a, a, probably one more move because you do have to remember that Vince Dunn is going to be in the equation here. That's if he's in the equation. If he is, correct. But They're going to need case, some money. But in that case, then you look at a Carl Gunnarsson and you say, can we ship out a $1.7 million? There are ways to do it. You're going to have one of Steen or Bozak and truly believes Steen's going to be there because Armstrong does not believe in buyouts. And he even said it with curves on behind the bench last week. Buyouts are an area that he looks at as a failure. And, and if a player can can add on to a roster like Steen can, there's no point in buying him out because he can be effective. Is it worth 5.5? No, but that's mm. the mistake you had to make to try and re-sign him. He's that's the tough part. Now, the one thing I will say, just to spin it all back around to Pat Maroon, is being a net front presence is a talent. It is. You watch Pat Maroon in the game. He knows when to not be in front, and he knows when to get to the front of the net. Yeah. And especially in big moments, he he has a hockey IQ that's it's very high. And <clears> so, therefore, last night, great opportunity for him to find his way to the front of the net. Last year, double overtime against the Dallas Stars. Robert Thomas, that's a that's a, a broken faceoff play. He adjusts. The big rig kind of moves off it. Big rig's supposed to go right to the net right away. He didn't. He paused. He waited. Robert Thomas ended up going by him. And then Big Rig gets to the net for the rebound. It's a talent recognizing those situations. And I do think that his net front presence specifically on a power play is something that's a huge advantage to any team, let alone here at St. Louis Blues. And how many times did we say this postseason? Why isn't anybody at the net? Where where is oh, that somebody drive, that's supposed that, to be yeah, at the net? It, it takes agree. it takes a lot of it takes a lot of um training and understanding and I think they're hoping Sanford and Blake can become that but again the only way you're going to get there is if you give those guys reps and eventually Blake has to stay healthy like yeah. eventually that has to be part of the equation as well with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario I'm Brandon Kylie. I want to get Jeremy Rutherford's perspective on this what does he think about the idea the concept of bringing back Pat Maroon this offseason would that be something that would help the Blues going into next year we'll talk about that plus are the Blues going to lose a front office member to the Florida Panthers talk about that with JR coming up on 101 ESPN we're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by our friend Jeremy Rutherford. He's the Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. Give him a follow on Twitter at JP Rutherford. JR, how you doing this morning? Doing well, boys. How you guys doing? Doing well. So I want to bring you in on a conversation that we were just having. Last night I was watching the Tampa Bay Lightning advance to the Eastern Conference Final, and look who it was just as the Lightning decide to have that game-winning goal. Who was in front of the net? None other than Pat Maroon. And, JR, my point in our last segment was how many times did we say to ourselves during this playoff run for the Blues, man, it'd be really nice to have somebody out there like Pat Maroon that would get in front of the net, that would have that personality that would lighten things up for the guys. Do you think Doug Armstrong would give any consideration to bringing back Maroon next year after seeing what he's done for the Lightning once again this postseason? 
I think maybe some consideration, but I, I got to back it up. And I did hear the conversation, so I do have the context here of what you guys are talking about. A, a couple things. First of all, I think it would have been pretty wise to hang on to Pat Maroon this past season. One more year, I think he had another year left. And, and I do agree with Riv and understand where Doug Armstrong is coming from. You got to let Blay and, and Sanford and even Cairo and at some point get Clem Costin up here. I just felt like keep the band together for the most part. Pat Maroon does so much for that room, and he is that type of player that the Blues didn't have. So just to back it up a little bit, you know, I think that if, had they made a stronger effort to hang on to him for one more year, I think that uh, that would have been wise. Having said that, they finished first in the West before the pause, so they were fine without him. They got their young guys some playing time. And if you look at this playoff, yeah, there were times that we said they didn't have a guy playing in front of the net. But even if you have Pat Maroon on that playoff roster, I don't know that they're going very far. So I think it's a little bit of a moot point. Now moving forward, uh, I think it only makes sense if they lose Tyler Bozak, and I don't know that they're going to be able to do that because, like uh, Ferrario said, you would move Sunquist to perhaps a third-line center, maybe Barbashev's your fourth-line center, and then maybe there's room for Pat Maroon as a fourth-line left winger. If Bozak doesn't move, I don't know how the jigsaw puzzle uh, would work. But to me, to, to round this up, is I think it's a situation where kind of the ship has sailed now. To me, it probably would have made sense this year, uh, but I don't know that it makes a ton of sense for next year. Jer, if they're not going to be able to move Tyler Bozak, then how do they find the money to bring back Alex Petrangelo? Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be the, the big question. And, uh, you know, Doug Armstrong talked about it, uh, what, a week ago, where he said if they can find common ground with Alex Petrangelo, then they're going to have to do a lot of moving around. But, I mean, if you're going to move Tyler Bozak, you're going to, you know, he's been a good player for you, but you're going to have to find a team that wants a guy making $5 million next year who doesn't provide you with much offense. And, you know, I, I realize that uh, – you know, he's a veteran with a Stanley Cup. He's a centerman. He can win you faceoffs. He can be a, a leader-type guy. Uh, but you're probably going to have to retain a million of that salary, uh, which you don't want to do if you're trying to get under the cap, you know, just to make that happen. So, uh, you know, I've been waiting for months and months and months to figure out how Doug Armstrong is going to move the money around to fit Alex Petrangelo. And we'll just have to see uh, if, indeed, that's the direction they go. How do they do it? There's only a couple options. Alan Steen. Bozak, somebody's going to have to go. Uh, I'm just trying to understand, comprehend what the market is for a, a $5 million bottom six guy who doesn't provide a lot of offense. Jr., I'm going to take it in a different direction here right now. And one of the questions that has popped up Frost, since the season's been over, specifically because Alex Petrangelo is, is the hot topic, and we always default to Bozak, Steen, Allen. Where can we find the money for Petro? Do you think there's any market value at all out there with uh, maybe a market a Marco Scandella? And my point to that is looking at the left-handed shots coming up in Mikola, who's not a Scandella yet. I understand that. Perunovic is not proven yet. But you do have a pretty deep blue line if you can keep Alex Petrangelo. And maybe someone like Marco Scandella with a great run that he did have with the Blues has improved his market. And we know, we both know that he was he was somebody who was sought after right when the Blues got him. Other teams were definitely interested. 
I, I suppose. I mean, it's definitely good to not stay on that track of Steen, Bozak, Allen, because, you know, a lot of times you think you can see the future with those things, and then Doug Armstrong or another GM will find another route to take. And, you know, so let's listen to some other names. Scandell is one of them. But if, if you had any consideration for that, you don't sign them to the four-year contract. I mean, it's certainly uh, you, you want to bring them back. You sign them to a one- or two-year deal. You know, if you want them, uh, you're going to have to give them some term. I understand that, and that's how you're able to get them signed, by giving them the four years. But I just can't see a situation where one day you're willing to give the guy four years and, and make him part of the team, and then you can quickly find you know, a suitor to take on that four-year deal. You know, what's Scandella, late 20s, almost 30, so he'd be early 30s by the end of that contract. You know, I don't know that there's going to be a long list of teams with the cap not going up that, that are going to jump on that contract. You know, the other name that you hear is Jaden Schwartz, and he's got a uh, one year left on his deal, uh, $5.5 or so. Uh, he's going to be due a raise, or the Blues going to be able to afford that if they do bring Alex Petrangelo back. You know, he's another guy whose name we don't often hear in terms of you know, potential trade talks, and I'm not saying they're looking to move him or anything like that, but, you know, Scandella, Schwartz, um, there aren't many options for Doug Armstrong other than the ones that we, we keep harping on. And, and that's why, to me, this whole situation is so interesting. JR, as we jump through the lineup a little bit here, with some of the things going to have to, I guess, happen in the offseason, we got to look forward. And when I look forward, we're always talking about young players. We have, I just brought up Mikola and Perunovic. You know what, Mikola is a big, big defenseman who has tremendous upside to be a good defensive guy, takes out uh, time and space from the opposition. Perunovic has the opportunity to be a quarterback offensive defenseman, much like we see out of Makar or Hughes. Those would be their comparables. However, uh, the bar is set high with those guys right now. But I want to move on to Austin Pagansky and Clem Costin. Both of these players, they're right there. They're right on the bubble, and I'm anxious to hear your opinion on, one, where they could fit in this lineup, and two, how far are they from actually making an impact and getting some real time in the NHL? Well, I think it's interesting. Those are a couple names that don't get mentioned too much. I like Austin Pagansky. Uh, he's a good four-checker, uh, plays the game the right way. He's just got to get the opportunity and, and then obviously prove it, but he's just kind of right there, a fringe-type player who needs a chance. So is he going to get that chance when you have Barbashev, Sunquist, Steen in that fourth line where he would need to play? I just don't know that that's the situation. Um, with Clem Costin, obviously people have, have wanted, fans have wanted for a couple of years now for him to get a longer look than those four or five games that he got last year. Maybe next year uh, is that opportunity for him. I, I think the Tarasenko injury opens the door a bit for that. Doug Armstrong said himself the other day that they're not going to be able to go out and sign anybody. They don't have the cap room to replace a Vladimir Tarasenko. And the names that he mentioned included Jordan Cairo. So he's willing to give young guys a chance to play in that top six role um, you know, is he willing to give Clint Costin that chance? It remains to be seen. The game has just been a little too inconsistent for Clint. He's made progress. 
He's looking better. You know, the shot's there. You know, he's been aggressive, but they just need to see it on a more regular basis. And, you know, he's still young. We we can't forget that. So um, I think at some point next year, you're going to see him get a longer stretch of games. And, James, it's just going to be a matter of what he does with that stretch. We're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic here on Ribs and BK. Uh, JR, yesterday you had the report that Bill Armstrong is a candidate for the Panthers' vacant GM job. I wanted to ask you, first of all, from your understanding, how likely is it that he's going to be a legitimate finalist for this job? Like He's going to be one of the guys that is really under consideration. And second of all, what would the Blues be losing if Bill Armstrong does end up taking that vacant GM job with the job with the Panthers? Yeah, it's a little hard situation to handicap for a couple of reasons. So many candidates have been mentioned, reported for this job. I listed, I think, 12 of them, and there were probably a couple that I I left off there. I have heard that Bill Armstrong is a finalist. But as I said in the story, are we talking three finalists? Are we talking six finalists? We don't know what that list is. It's kind of quiet on on how many are on that list. And so I believe because of the situation in Florida, you know, they haven't made the playoffs but two times in the last uh, 18 years. They got knocked out of the qualifying this year. Their, Their prospects are rated low. It's not a good situation in Florida right now. And what Bill Armstrong brings is he's played and coached at the American Hockey League level. He won a a Calder Cup at uh, Providence when he was assistant coach there on Peter Laviolette's uh, staff. And then here with the Blues, look, he's been a scout since 2004, took Jarmo Kekalainen's job in 2010, and he's been a part of some very good draft picks when you look at uh, guys like Bennington and Pareko and Sammy Blay in the later rounds. So he, he's really done everything um, that he can do to make himself uh, a good candidate for this position. It's just all about getting that chance. And with so many people... Uh, candidates and and so many uh, candidates that do have some experience uh, it's hard to handicap right now what do the blues lose is they lose a guy if he were to get the job uh, who's been a big part of building from the ground up i just mentioned some of those draft picks that he's been a part of and uh, just a familiarity with the organization look doug armstrong surrounds himself with good people and it's no coincidence that when marty brodeur left bill armstrong was the guy that they tabbed as the assistant gm well, JR, we'll be paying attention to all your reporting on that over at The Athletic and on your Twitter, at JP Rutherford. We always enjoy having you on the show. Thanks for so much for hopping on with us today, man. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. Going to be a fascinating offseason for the Blues. Every time I feel like we have something kind of figured out, it's like, oh, no. Tyler Bozak, probably not going to be on the move. <laughs> Alex Steen, oh, there's an injury there. I'm not sure he's going to be able to be bought out. Oh, they're going to be look at look last night. Pat Maroon, that's an obvious. No, mm-mm, probably not. OK, so there's there's a lot of work that still needs to be done and certainly plenty of time to do it. We'll talk a little bit more about that Mikola situation. I want to get into that with Jeremy or with uh, Jamie coming up here in just about an hour or so. Coming up next, six, five, seven, eight, zero is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. If you guys have any fantasy football questions, by the way, we've got a few of them that are coming in on the text line. I'd be happy to help you out. I'll do those on the text line. Are you a fantasy football guru? Kinda. Are you? 
I mean, I did it at our previous station. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you were good at it. Not a baseball guru. I mean, I've done it too, but I'm not any good at it. I'm less wrong on fantasy football than I am about everything else. I would be worried. Right now, with your streak, the way it's going. Did you guys so, yeah, can we pull this up, Ferrario? Uh Um, Uh I think there's some audio. I'm pretty sure Ferrario pulled this earlier today. Remember when we did our live read yesterday and they like threw it in there? Hey, you've got to have, you got to be ready to make a pick or something. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll find something. Well, I made a pick yesterday. I I went with the box. Um, we recorded that this morning. No, it was last night. We're it was t- yesterday. <laughs> and the game was last night. And do we, do we have this audio? This is what it sounded like in the middle of the the read. If you want to get in on the action tonight, Heat versus Bucks, game number one. You can get in early in this series, Jamie. I've personally got the Bucks in five in this one. That's my personal bet, which means that you should probably go ahead and take the upset and go with the Heat. <laughs> Okay, we'll give you that. That That's a great call. And by the way, that was on FanDuel, yeah. right? FanDuel and... Promo code branded B-R-A-N-D-O-N. That's exact. Yeah, if you want to get in on the action, B-R-A-N-D-O-N and jump in FanDuel Fantasy Apps doing great. I'm stupid. You're smart. I was wrong. You were right. You're the best. I'm the worst. Yeah, I'll eat that this time. You got Jimmy it. Jimmy Butler with a smooth 40 points last night against the Nobody Milwaukee Nobody expected Bucks. to see that. I mean, come on. Come on. What did Giannis shoot that game? He had 18, 10, and 9, and they lost. <laughs> they He's got to be better. He's got to be better. Flat hey, out. You don't like it? Play better. He had yep. the worst plus minus on the team. It was a minus 14 in the game. Giannis. Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, come on. You want to really? be called the best? You got to play like that. Yeah, you ain't wrong. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. All right, Jamie, let's start with this one. We didn't get to this yesterday, and I know you wanted to. Uh-oh. Over the weekend, there was a prominent baseball writer by the name of Mark Carey. Oh, he yeah. writes for The Athletic, and he tweeted something very sim- simple. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. All games should be seven innings in baseball. I love baseball. Don't even try me on this. <laughs> I'm going to take a beat in here. He said, I yeah, have changed are. my mind on this. Seven inning games are awesome. The pace feels more like baseball, not this drawn out slog that we're watching. Okay, so that's a little extreme. The last part, I wouldn't say drawn out slog ever about any professional sport, but there I have w- been at, at least two games this year for the Cardinals that have felt like drawn out slogs. But One of those I was that 16 this, run game. But I will say this is that sometimes depending on who's pitching, right? I think the pitcher has a lot of say or control of how long this game goes because the pitcher can readjust, step off the, the rubber, look to the first baseman, check a guy at second, whatever he's doing. So I do believe that there's some, you know, some relevance to how fast the pitcher is out there. And by the way, KK going tonight, so expect a quick one. Hey, boys, last time he wasn't messing around. We got through a two minute, two hours and 15 minutes or That's something. Jamie Rivers approval. Yeah. So look, I'm I like the seven inning games right now. I find them exciting. Uh, do I actually think that baseball culture, the world of baseball would accept a seven inning game? No, I don't. But you'd be you're fooling yourself. Really, if you say right now that you don't enjoy watching a seven-inning game. I think we said it on this show, but with a seven-inning game, there's no, like, fourth or fifth inning of nothing. Like, yep. it, it, you go from the beginning excitement of a ball game to strategically planning to close things out in the fifth, sixth, and seventh. There's no in-between when it comes to those seven-inning games, and those are the excitement. You know what I love about the seven-inning games? The starters matter. They matter. 
And I miss the days of you going into a game and being like, what's the starting matchup? That, that used to be a big thing. You would build it up. Who are the starting pitchers going up against one another? And how long are they going to be able to go in this game? If you have seven inning games, do you know how many times Jack Flaherty could pitch a complete game? Adam Wainwright could pitch a complete game. Dakota Hudson could pitch a complete game. Those guys become even more valuable over a 162 of seven inning games. It brings that back to life. So I, I would love to see it. There's, there's no way, no well, way in hell that it happens. In your answer right there is exactly why it'll never happen. Do you know what that means? If guys go more complete games, it means you need less arms on your staff. It means you can delete roster spots that you don't need. Well, that might be why it would happen. Baseball's all in favor of saving money nowadays. Well, baseball is, but the players union would be like, sure. hang on a second. Yeah. No, I, I, you're you're absolutely right, but I prefer watching the starter as opposed to watching this rotating cycle of relievers that come in for three batters and then go out and then three batters and then go out. I just hey, we got a good question here the on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. This comes up all the time and I don't know if I understand it. From the 314, lose a seventh inning stretch though? No thanks. Oh come on. Text so, or troll. No, but, that's gotta be a troll. <laughs> no, but I, I heard it before on other like people like, oh the se- you know, seventh inning stretch. What? Okay. So Make it the fifth the... inning stretch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the, the difference? It's the fourth inning stretch. Seventh inning stretch. Just deal with that. Who actually stretches? Yeah, nobody stretches. You stand or sit the whole time. Six. I'm actually gonna throw a leg up and start stretching next time again. Next time it Yep, I said it. Do you throw leg, leg up? Not over. Up. Okay. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text slide for questions and answers. Powering right through this. Not even going to acknowledge it. That's what she said. Saw this from Twitter just moments ago. Guys, there's some news to report from college football. Big game coming up here in about a week and a half. We are 11 days away from Oklahoma's season opener. They will open the season against Missouri State. This will not be on traditional television, though. Oklahoma season opener will cost you $55. What? On pay-per-view to be able to watch. I thought you said $5 when you brought... $55. I can think of a lot better things to spend $55 on than watch Missouri State play Oklahoma. $55 I might buy the whole season (laughs) if I'm one of their fans, but... Can you believe this? $55? For Oklahoma what? versus Missouri State, $55 to watch the season opener. I think I'm going to be a little busy during that one. Yeah. I'm not a huge college football guy, right? So Oklahoma, yeah, they're probably still a draw. No offense to Missouri State, but what what is their football program? Not good. They beat Missouri, didn't they, a couple years ago? No, they didn't. They scored like 40 in that game, but they did not win the game, damn it. They did not win the game. But my point is for $55, bucks, like if so, I Shadowing in that one. Probably should have seen Missouri yeah, not going well that go. season. There we go. <laughs> For 55 bucks, if I'm going to pay-per-view a college football game, like it's got to be like last year's build-up to LSU, Alabama, one of those games. And even yeah. then, I'd be like, 55 like Missouri bucks? versus Kentucky. That's always a slog yeah. fest. I'd pay 55 for that one. Learn to distinguish. I would pay $55 at gunpoint. Learn to distinguish NCAA how much money each game is worth because that one is not worth $55. This is the Big 12 at its finest. That's all that is. Yikes. It's the Big 12 at its Goodness. finest. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. The Cardinals outfield crunch is getting even tighter. And there were some comments from Mike Schilt last night that if you're a Lane Thomas fan, you're going to want to hear this. We'll tell you about it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
if the numbers look as they do now going into next February and the same names are in place, if I'm a Cardinals fan, I'm pretty upset because you've had enough enough of a sample size now to make informed decisions. And that's what this season is for. Even if it's not a representative season, even if it may not be a legitimate championship season to some people, you should be able to make decisions on these guys. And for people getting into, you know, 26, 27 years of age, the runway does start to run out. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Mark Saxon on the show yesterday talking about the Cardinals outfield. They got to make some decisions coming up here in the not too distant future. And the crunch is getting even tighter suddenly. I didn't know that that was going to be possible, but here we are. Lane Thomas added back to the active roster yesterday. Now that we've seen our guy Milsey absolutely destroying the baseball this season, he has to be in the lineup every day. So that takes out either the DH third base shortstop, wherever he's playing at any given day. Uh, Matt Carpenter is kind of filtering through there at DH at times or third base. And you've got Tommy Edmond that's now moved at times to the outfield. There's a lot of names here. So eventually you've got to make some decisions. Who's going to play? Who's not? Well, we know Dexter Fowler's playing every day. He's been out there and he's been productive. He should be out there every day. He's been your best outfielder uh, at the plate so far this season. And then it's been a rotation of all of these other guys with Dylan Carlson getting the other spot. So you've got two that are basically cornerstones. And the third spot has been up for grabs. And Jamie, I wanted to talk a little bit about Lane Thomas. Because I thought he was going to be the next guy in line to get some playing time. And then I saw this quote from Mike Schilt. Here's what he said before the game yesterday. Quote, he can run, he can play defense, and can obviously take a quality bat off the bench. He can start as well, but off the bench, I think that's what you're looking for out of Lane. Have we been looking at Lane Thomas wrong all along? Uh, is he moving forward? Like, is the expectation, should the expectation for Lane Thomas be, he's your fourth outfielder moving forward? And you're trying to decide, can Tyler O'Neill or Harrison Bader be a starter for you, one of them, and then Lane Thomas next year when we go into the season will be your fourth outfielder regardless of who you choose out of those other two? You guys view it that way after reading that quote from Mike Schilt? So here's what I get out of it. I get that Mike Schilt is saying that right now on Lane Thomas's current situation. Coming out of the off the COVID IL, coming into a season that is well on its way now, he really hasn't had any time to really, nothing worth of substance so far this season, a couple of spot duty at the beginning. So I think that he's being very honest, saying that Lane Thomas, well, he's a bench guy right now. Yeah, if we have to start him or if we need somebody to have a day off, we'll go there. But really, we're looking at him to come off the bench. Now, does that hold true moving into next season? I don't know. Because Lane Thomas, if you look back at the the comments, they're conflicting comments from John Mosaylock and Mike Schilt right now. Because John Mosaylock talked about how they really needed him or would have liked to have had him last last, last September. And but really has, you know, he with the injury and whatnot and now COVID, he really haven't gotten that sample size. And now Mike Schilt is saying he's a bench player. I read into this as Mike Schilt saying for the rest of this season or for the foreseeable future, like coming up, he's a bench guy. Now if he comes off the bench like Millsy and he starts cracking the ball around and playing well, I guarantee this guy finds his spot right out there because what right now you're sacrificing left field for Dylan Carlson. And I say that because he's not he doing good. Productive, yeah. He's not doing good at the plate. So, But you're putting him out there anyways because you're looking for that to pay out later on, next year, later on this year, years to come. Dexter Fowler, yeah, 
Sexy Dexy, you got to have him out there. He's playing well. He's getting timely at-bats. He, this get- is who you signed him to be. Yeah, exactly. So your only hole right now that's available, like you said, is the one in the center field, and you have a crowded center field now. Can Tyler O'Neill play center field? Yeah. He can? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now you have Bader, who's truly a center fielder, Lane Thomas, who can play center field, and Tyler O'Neill. So guess what? I actually kind of like it. Mike Schilt now can throw the, you know, the fillet out into the into the yard with the dogs and say which one of you wants it the most at this point. The part that gets me is the conflicting reports. That's the the, the thing I thought of immediately when Riv said that is uh, you go back to Mo. I mean, Mo made that made, Mo made Lane Thomas feel like he would have been the savior for that team in the postseason if he would have been playing. That's why all of us were like, "Well, I'm on the Lane Thomas train." Stalter and I had the bet at the beginning of the season before things paused of I thought O'Neill would have more at bats, but Stalter thought Lane Thomas was going to be the guy that was going to be leading in that category. So we were led to believe that, but I do think now this is viewed as, "Hey, look." This is an internal competition. Mo wants to see what we have. Well, let's see what we have. Fowler's going to be here. Carlson has to be here. So we got three guys that are playing for one position, and two of those three are going to be here next year. So go out there, and let's see who wants it more. I'm just fascinated by the conflicting reports. Because Mike Schultz saying this yesterday, maybe you're right. Maybe this was just, hey, for the for the near future lane thomas is a bench bat for us but like was there more context to it after this was this was all that i saw from one quote like because you just don't know and especially right now where they're not able to get into the clubhouse or even actually really talk to mike schild on a personal level i'm just wondering if maybe he meant it in a different way or not i don't know but he he speaks pretty openly and honestly right like we we've seen mike schultz in these in these situations he kind of says what he means typically. And if he's going to be open and honest about Lane Thomas's role, and he's going to say off the bench, I think that's what you're looking for out of Lane. And he didn't say right now, what we need out of Lane Thomas is a bench bat. He said off the bench. I think that's what you're looking for. So I, it it reads to me like this is the role that they view for Lane Thomas. I don't know if projecting forward that's going to be it, but if you looked at some of the prospect rankings or how people viewed him coming into the season, if they're a prospect guru, for, for instance, they kind of viewed Lane Thomas as a fourth outfielder for the future. And so I, I do wonder if maybe internally they view it that way as well. And if they do, well, then now we can kind of pare this thing down a little bit. It's basically Tyler O'Neill, who has that massive upside with the power. Harrison Bader, who has the incredible upside with his defense. And then let's see maybe if Tommy Edmond is going to get a few opportunities out there. Because moving forward, if, as we all agree, third base is kind of the biggest spot for this team where they do have an opening. Well, that would mean Tommy Edmond has to be either a super utility Ben Zobris type or he's going to play majority of his time in the outfield. How can you put him in the outfield? That's not he's easy. your best third baseman. Yeah, he's your best third baseman, and it just absolutely crowds that outfield like no other. Yeah. You know, so I just as much as I he's he, been getting time out there lately. Correct. But now Lane Thomas is actually officially back. And right? I think so, they're giving him time out there because they're they're riding this Matt Carpenter train until they can get like they want something out of it. You saw the two walks yesterday. In my eyes, the Cardinals say, well, that was a pretty good game for Matt Carpenter. He was seeing the ball. They are going to ride this train as much as they can because they're not going to admit failure with the contract extension. Wanted to listen to something that John Mosaloc said yesterday as he was talking to the media about the trade deadline and why they didn't make it 
any moves. He specifically spoke to the outfield situation and how they have to find some answers for not just this year, but 2021 and beyond. I think, you know, we still have a lot of questions on what we're going to look like next year, um, especially from, you know, the financial models. So trying to to dive into what 2021 would look like was not something we weren't interested in. I mean, obviously, when you can make a deal that's more than just a rental, there's some value to that. But, you know, there's a there's a handful of, of, of young players that we don't really want to part with at this time. And it just didn't seem to, to make sense where it felt like we were getting value in that decision making. Okay, so as I listen to that, it actually starts to clear things up for me a little bit. One, uh, my background at the trade deadline with the NHL. Now, it's not the same as Major League Baseball, but I think John Mozalak is kind of viewing getting Lane Thomas back like they added a player a little bit. Like it, it, hidden in there somewhere is we didn't really have the opportunity to go out and get this or that. And now we have this COVID thing that's got us kind of handcuffed with the roster. So our addition, quite honestly, is Lane Thomas. And then also listening to that, I hear right now that they're not looking at 2021. If that's the case, then was Schilte truly quoting what he sees for this year because they're not getting too far ahead of themselves yet looking at 2021? Well, and I think it's hard for them to look at 2021 because the majority of the players that you're trying to figure out if they're a part of this team for 2021 have been on the COVID list. I mean, think about it. You had Lane Thomas, who was on the COVID list, you weren't sure about. You had a bunch of pitchers on the COVID list, like a Carlos Martinez, like a Ryan Helsley. I mean, there are a lot of guys, Giovanni Gallegos, who finally is back. but And looking oh, great. Yeah, phenomenal. But these are all guys that in the eyes of 162 game schedule was okay who are these players and then in a 60 game schedule okay really who are these players but in their eyes from the majority of games that they've played they haven't had this roster I mean we've said it numerous times you haven't seen an infield of what your infield was supposed to look like for more than one or two games so I think in Mosellock's eyes which is exactly what I think what Schilt was saying we don't know what 2021 looks like because we don't know what the heck 2020 has looked like yet. Yeah, see, I, I it's interesting because we all heard that quote in very different ways. I, I heard that quote and I kind of internalized it the same way that I heard the Mark Saxon quote that we just played coming into this segment. They've got to find out who is going to be here in 2021 by playing these guys every day in 2020. I, that's how I interpreted the quote. Um, but I think this is kind of what the Cardinals are right now. There's a lot of different ways that you can interpret these things because there are so many different questions that still really don't have any answers yet. We're about halfway through the season of what is already a shortened season We've seen five plate appearances from Lane Thomas so far. Like He has had zero exposure in the outfield, basically. We have no idea what Tyler O'Neill is because he had a really nice start to the season. Then he had that time off, and he's stunk ever since. Harrison Bader looked like he was about to turn things on, and then he had the migraine issues, and now we haven't really been able to see him as much of late. So it's it's a strange spot, man. And I, I don't envy the spot that John Mozeliak is in, but they have to, and they have an opportunity coming up with the, I think it's six doubleheaders in the next 13 days that they're going to have to go through once again. This is probably the time to really filter through those guys, see who ends up getting hot in this period. And going with them for the stretch run whenever they get there. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 1217. Your chi- time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. 65780 is their comfort service tax line. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it. Coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Let's start this thing out with a few over-unders for the NFL. We are getting very close to the start of the NFL regular season, and the Houston Texans are going to be involved in that season opener in Kansas City against the Chiefs. Who? Never heard of them. The Houston Texans win total for the season. Oh, God, here we go. It's set at seven and a half. What? So you take the over, Jamie. You're saying they're going to win eight or more games this year. How do you win a half a game? Are you leading at halftime in that one game? No, you win, yeah, you win at halftime. for you here. <laughs> if you bet the under seven and a half, you would get seven or fewer wins for the Houston Texans. And then we could get into the quarter bets, too, wow. Rivs. Like right. a seven and a quarter. That's no, nope, that doesn't happen. <laughs> Just seven and a half. Better to forget it, Jamie. The Houston Texans will win more than seven and a half games this year. Let me ask you a different way. Better don't forget it, Jamie. The Houston Texans will win at least eight (laughs) games this season. I'll bet it. I think they win at least eight games. Despite having the GM and the head coach who just seems to be trying to throw the season, um, I do think they still have enough talent to squeeze out eight games. I don't. I'm going to forget it. I don't think they win. I think they win seven games. I, I, you got a running back who's been injured in the last three years. You got no wide receiver. Your number one wide receiver now is Brandon Cooks, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And then your number two is Will Fuller, who is always hurt. He's looking to break out, though. Yeah. J.J. Watt seems to be injured an awful lot. I, I just don't see it. I don't see it. Do you know how many times Bill O'Brien, despite all of his faults, and he has plenty <laughs> of them, he has been the head coach of the Houston Texans since 2014. He's gone through six seasons now. Do you know how many times he's won fewer than nine games in a season? Zero. One. One, One time. It happened in 2017, which just so happened to be Deshaun Watson's rookie year. He got hurt midway through the season. He started six games, was three and three in those six games. Then they went to Tom Savage, who was one of the worst NFL quarterbacks that I've ever seen. He took them to a solid four and 12 season that year. But let me ask you this, BK. Who was the number one wide receiver? for Bill O'Brien. Yeah, Hopkins, but do, do you trust Deshaun Watson or not? If you do, quarterbacks like Deshaun Watson don't win fewer than eight games. They don't. If you've got a competent head coach and Bill, O'Bri- Bill O'Brien is not a competent GM. <laughs> he, is a t- he is a competent head coach. as competent coach. as Jerry Jones. I, I worry about him all over the place right now. I, I don't see how the Texans in that division with the Jaguars who are probably going to win That's one true. or two games this That's season. That's what I was trying to pull up is their division. I know a couple of the teams. Colts, Jags and t- Titans are the other three teams in that division. Colts and, Titans will, Colts and Titans will make it hard, but yeah, the Jags, I mean, that's that's going to be two yeah. easy wins. I just don't see how they win fewer than, than eight games this year. I think that team, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them back in the playoffs. I know that they've got some issues, but I still think that's a solid team, and I'm just not willing to count out Deshaun Watson. I'm the same boat. Better to forget it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's go to another one in the AFC. Jamie Rivers' favorite team, the New England Patriots. Better or forget it, the Patriots will win more than eight games this season, Oh, I'm betting it. (laughs) I'm betting it, man. I don't care. I am betting it. Even though they had half the team opt out, I don't bet against Bill Belichick. I did that one time. Honestly, as a fan of the Patriots, and I'm admitting this right now, I bet against the Patriots and Bill Belichick. Guess what? He showed me never to do that again. Now, is and this before? Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Is, is this before or after Leonard Fournette is on your team, Rivs? 
Uh, I don't even care. Put anybody you back. No Put you what? back there. Oh, I don't oh. care. Bill I, Belichick I, is... I actually would yeah, care I was, about that. that <laughs> I will that get you those wins. I would start to care. <laughs> I will get you those wins, Ribs. <laughs> I do think the Patriots, though, and, and all the reports coming out of Pat's camp right now is that Cam Newton looks exceptional. I know. What Did else? you see him dancing yeah. during the stretch you know lines what? the other that's, day? That's, that's great. It it's makes amazing. me feel good. You haven't seen that before yeah. with a Patriots team, right? And so maybe it's a nice, you know, counter to Bill Belichick, and it might drive Belichick crazy, but he's looking at it right now and going, it's a year. I can do this it's for a, a year. year. You know what I'm saying? So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go with the uh, with the nine games. Don't. Uh... Did you forget what the better to forget it was? Yeah, yeah, over under. I'm, it I'm was sure. Like eight I'm and sure. Quarter games or something. I'm sure that one's got to go. Eight and two thirds. <laughs> Are we sure? Eight I know what I'm talking about. Uh, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna forget it. Don't hate me, Ribs. But I just Cam Newton, as great as he looks, is just you still don't have much to work with there, and especially with everyone opting out on the defensive side. I know Bill Belichick's a magician. This ah, guy who can needs defense. He can make uh, he can make diamonds out of out of nothing, but I just don't see it this year. So I'm gonna forget it. I don't bet against Deshaun Watson, and I don't bet against Bill Belichick winning nine games in a season. We need to be like he, the fast lane to put these up on a board. He won nine games with freaking Matt Castle. As his starting quarterback. That's a really good point. I watched Matt Castle as a Chiefs fan. Oh, yeah, it that's went right. Horrible. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Re- he was so bad. Even on the sideline when he was sitting on his bench, he made a fool of himself as his hat fell off of the back. Like, come on, man. No, uh, I'm I'm taking the over. Bet the over. Eight and a half is not enough. The Patriots will win at least nine Sorry. games. If you, if you go over eight and a half, then you're not going to get Trevor Lawrence. So my conspiracy theory doesn't work out. I had the same one. Right. But now I'm really worried because BK is betting the same as so, me. So, yeah, you're going the other I'm gonna way. I'm going to have to hedge my bet yeah, somewhere. I feel, I feel great here. right now. <laughs> two for two. Forget it. Sticking with the Patriots theme. Tom Brady heading down to Tampa Bay, taking his talents down to the to the bay. Over under set at nine and a half. Better to forget it, Jamie. I'm betting it, baby. The Bucks. You don't even know what I don't I'm care. about to Tom ask. Tom Brady. He I'm was going to say seventeen and a half wins. The Bucks will win at least ten games this year. Oh damn! You just made it hard. You changed it. You changed nine it. Nine and a half. The over under. Ten or more. The nice Bucks will win quarter. ten or more games this all right, year. Better I'd, to forget it. Yes, I'll bet it. Again, somebody who I don't bet against is Tom Brady. And he, uh, looking through all the reporters and stuff that they're writing down there, he looks energized, and they said that he feels a lot younger. Gronk even said that he hasn't seen him as energized in a long time. Said even his arm strength seems to be better than what it was before. So... You know what? I, I think they're going to do some damage down there. I, I think 10 games is not out of the question for them, so I'm going to go with it. I'm going to bet it, too. They, they they look like a frightening team right now. I mean, they are stacked. Tom Brady, I've watched some videos of him out there, and, I mean, he does look a lot younger just the way he's been playing. Gronkowski, the weapons of Evans and Godwin, I mean, it's just it looks like a dangerous team right now, so I, I'm going to bet that. You know what people don't talk about with the Buccaneers that they should be talking about more? Their offensive Their line. No, we don't. We definitely shouldn't. Talk that's about what I'm saying. Don't talk about that. that goes I you're going to go there. Point. Usually, you come with the counter. You're yeah. like the negative. Those are all lies. That's like a that's like a fight club. Like we don't Swiss talk about cheese. that. I'm agreeing with you once again, Jamie. You should no, be excited I'm about worried, this. Actually, yeah, these just, are all bad things. Riff. Just text my bookie. Xnay on the bet. <laughs> Cancel that last one. Xnay on the bucket. Gonna get on my fan duel here and be like, yeah, no. Promo code Brandon. B R A N D O N. The Buccaneers last year, after having the worst defense in all of football in 2018 and 2019 according to the advanced numbers some of the the fancy nerdy metrics that you know i love to look at they were fifth 
fifth in the NFL. Now, if you look at their points against, it's horrible because Jameis was throwing 25 pick sixes well, yeah, a game. That's not, yeah. But if you look at what they were doing on a play-to-play basis, their defense was really good last year. Now you trade Jameis out and bring in Tom Brady, who doesn't throw interceptions ever? Yeah, I think the defense is going to look pretty good. I think they're going to win a lot of games, like 24-20, 24-17. It's going to make it easier on the defense, too. They won't Absolutely. be on the field as much. You know, I Brady got to control that clock. Yeah. I think this is a team that can clock. win at least 10 games. I don't know if I buy them as a Super Bowl contender this year, but I definitely buy them as a team that's going to make the playoffs this year. That's better to forget it here on 101 ESPN with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. So what's the Blues plan with their left-handed defenseman this year? It seemed pretty obvious whenever they re-signed Marco Scandella. But there's a young guy that's kind of waiting in the wings that probably needs that role. We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. I'm just a punching bag on this show. That's all. <laughs> I'm an empty vessel to serve as Whoa. a punching bag. Well, listen, you're complaining from about... From 11 to 2 every day right here on 101 an empty ESPN. Vessel. Complain about the temperature. First of all, Danny Mac usually has it as a hot box in here. Yes. So I got to take it down a little bit and then I take it down and it goes too far and then you get angry and I just turned it up and then you're still angry. I find like it's really hard to keep you happy because... Oh, yeah, you are. You are. I, I, I'm the one that it's difficult to keep happy. You are somewhat of a diva. How? You are somewhat of a diva. Actually, Ferrario is kind of the guy around here. Whoa. Mariah over here. He sits behind the curtain like nothing's going on. Speaking of Mariah, we got to get into cardiness at this station. I will not not stand for it. And we'll get to that coming up in the one o'clock hour. Meet black. But right now, <laughs> well played, Tim. Right now, the Blues' plan on the left side of their defenseman, their left-handed defenseman, is really intriguing to me. And we talked about Nikola Mikola, Nikola Mikola, Nikola Mikola, a few times I'll this give week you a already. Two. Hang on. We talked about Mikola a few times so far this week, and I was reading on the Athletic yesterday. They had a profile of him. What kind of a player can this gentleman be whenever he gets to the NHL? And I'm going to read this for you. And I want to, I want you to tell me if that reminds you of anybody on the blues currently. Okay. You and the, you, the listener six, five, seven, eight, zero is the air comfort service sex line. Text us in. Who does this remind you of? Who does this sound like to you when you're a six foot four and you skate well for that size, play hard and can make a good uh, pass first. I think that's enough to project you to play at the top level. Mikla breaks up a ton of plays with his reach and physical play and is quick enough to stay with NHL forwards. He lacks point production and puck skills, but I see a player who has his head up with the puck and makes clever outlets consistently. It's where I could see him make a basic first pass at the top level. This sure sounds a lot to me like Scandella. It sounds like they just signed Scandella to basically be what Mikola projects to be moving forward. Mm-hmm. So, Jamie, what the hell do they do here? They don't have Scandella for one more year. They've got him locked up long term now. Look, let's to put things in perspective here. OK, Mikola has played how many NHL games like three, four? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Four. OK, so and if you want to go back to like 1993, 
You can look at what I was projected to do. None of it happened. Played five games. None of it happened. Okay. And my point to that is, yeah, I went on to have a long career, bounced around, and played a long time. Okay. But these projections and the the things that they talk about, the possibility. I always talk about the the P words, right? Potential, possibility, well, and prospect. There's some P words you can't. Correct, Alex. Keeping it in context, oh, though. Oh, sorry. Those are the ones that are always they 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 keep me from celebrating too early now is mikola a heck of a, a, a an addition to the future yeah he could be could he be marco scandella in the future yes he could but he's got to get more time we talk about the cardinals right so anybody yeah. who's listening right now that wants to kind of get a grasp on things for the blue for blues hockey just think about the cardinals outfield right now and where you're going with that and how John Mosellock has talked about how you have to be patient and, and see what they've got. Nothing different for the Blues. Doug Armstrong has to be patient. He has to see where Perunovic fits in. If Perunovic comes in and he's exactly what you expected, Mikola's progress is going to be slowed down. Why? Because they already have Mikola. Mm-hmm. They have Marco Scandella. They don't need to have Carl Gunnarsson that is under contract for another year. Could he be a casualty if Mikola's really good? Yeah, it's possible. But now you're sticking a young guy in the top four, which is not ideal for someone getting their feet wet. So there's a lot of things that are out there. And let's not forget about the elephant in the room, which is Vince Dunn, who is a restricted free agent. So no matter what, you're going to give him a contract at some point. You may not end up keeping him, but you're not letting him walk. So now you have Gunnarsson, Mikola, Scandella, Perunovic, and Dunn on your left side. And oh, yeah, if you crowded. If you look at the right side, you've got Pareko, Falk, and Bortuzzo. And, oh, yeah, the other elephant in the room, Alex Petrangelo. It's really crowded. What I'd like to see from uh, Mikola, and it's really so hard right now because you're not going to have an AHL season until, like, Christmas or January next year, which is so hard. Isn't Mikola on a one-way contract for next year? He is, and he would have to clear waivers to go down. And that seems unlikely given the status of him as a prospect, Correct. So he's going to be your seventh defenseman no matter what. So Perunovic, because of circumstances, unless he's an all-star, like right off the hop, he will see time in the American Hockey League. And it's to be determined yet on what the NHL is going to uh, consider for your roster size based on the fact that the AHL is not going to start until December or January. It's all unique. But his potential for this guy is massive. Craig Berube loves the way he plays. He closes guys out. He's got a good stick. He's aggressive. He's everything you want a big left-handed defenseman to be. Uh, but I think he's still got some big steps to take before he's like a regular. And they've compared him to Jay Bomeister in terms of potential more than they have with Marco Scandella. And look, for me, the way I see this right now, for the blue setup, you can never have enough defensemen, right? Like the defensemen are pitchers in hockey because one goes down. You got to have somebody who's NHL ready. Mikola has hit the point where he can't do anything else in the minors. He's played 118 games in the he's AHL not young anymore. He's, no, he's, he's not about to be 25. So that's why they gave him that one year contract. It's the same with Ville Husso. You can't prove yourself anymore in the minors. So you need to play in the NHL. So Scandell is a part of this progress no matter what but I, I like the way that Rivs's mind worked on the Rutherford thing because you do have to look outside the box if you can't move Bozak but ideally Scandella was on this roster for you Mikola is on this roster for you and honestly we talked about this last week Perunovic and Dunn are very similar players the only thing is Dunn's experience but if Perunovic can play to the level that we saw of a Quinn Hughes and a Kale McCarr 
Vince Dunn's expendable, and a Carl Gunnarsson is your seventh defenseman, and that's exactly what you want. But Vince Dunn is not expendable immediately. No, he's not. That's the thing is you're going to have to you're going to have to commit to another year yep. of Vince Dunn, a minimum of a year, because Perunovic, if he's going to control the game like yep. that, very few players are Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes, and Perunovic is projecting again another P word, right? The right kind. Anyways, he's projecting to be that kind of a player, but we still don't really know. Right. I just, I, I wonder, not saying he was wrong to do so, but I wonder if looking back, Army's looking at that four year deal that he gave to Scandella and saying to himself, do we maybe get a little ahead of ourselves there? Did we maybe get a little out over our skis? Because now, as you look at some of the number crunching that they have to do, and you look at what Scandella is going to cost this year and for the three years after, with less of a jump, if any jump, in the cap over the next few years, I, I don't know. It, it would seem to me like it would make a lot of sense to have Mikola there. Maybe he's not ready, and I understand that, but it would make a lot of sense to have Mikola there as your second pair of defensemen in that role, or at least waiting to see if maybe you could get Scandell on a one- or two-year deal instead of a four-year deal where you're kind of stopping his progress there. Yeah, two things on that. I think Army had to come with a three- or four-year deal for Scandella in order to retain him. I think Scandella knew that there's a market out there, especially after he came and played so well with the Blues. So Should he have maybe waited to maybe not retain Scandella? No, I don't think that's a case at all. I think you're still looking for Scandella in free agency. Well, so let me finish here, okay? As we circle back, Jay Bomeister was your guy in that spot. You were able to put another guy in there, Scandella, who did a fantastic job and, quite honestly, is still doing a fantastic job. Now, his four-year price tag to it, here's where I think Army went with it, was one, he knew he'd have to come long-term to get this player. Mm -hmm. And he's looking down the line. Who do I really have? Yeah, I have Mikula, but you still have to be very careful as a GM. You can't take Mikula and be like, hey, you're in my top four defensemen. You're going to be part of my shutdown pair. What if it doesn't work? What's plan B then? So at least right now, Doug Armstrong has Scandella, and plan B is Mikula. And I truly believe that there's still a market for Scandella out there. So if we're a year, a year and a half into this contract, I think Army believes it. I believe it, that you could reach out and you could trade that guy at 31, 32. Guys, teams are always looking for that steady, eddy, left-handed shot defenseman, big guy, especially if he's playing well for the Blues. He's showing everybody that he has upside again. I don't think that getting rid of him now or not resigning him was the right move because you didn't have a replacement. You didn't have an immediate replacement. I just look at the roster and we've been trying to do the mental gymnastics of, okay, then where does the money come from? And we talked to Jeremy Rutherford earlier today. He said, I don't think you can get rid of Bozak. I, I don't think there are going to be teams that take him. I don't think the Blues want to get rid of him. Uh, we, we talked with Ferrario earlier. and He's like, hey, I, I don't think Army is going to be the type of guy that's going to buy out Alex Dean. And he's obviously got this injury as well. So we don't even know if they could if they wanted to. Okay, then how are we bringing back Alex Petrangelo? It's going to be tough. If you're looking around and I'm trying to find where do you get this money from, all that I can look at now is, okay, you've got Jake Allen. We, we've set that aside. That's $3.5 million that you're going to be able to save. Well, you're still a ways away from getting to the number that you're going to need for Alex Petrangelo, and Scandella could be one of those. 
And it comes back to Jaden Schwartz. And I just don't think that dude is dispensable for this team. I don't think you can replace Tarasenko. that guy. You can't yeah. without Tarasenko. So Look, Doug I, is it's going to be really hard for them to figure this out without moving somebody that they don't want to move. And Doug is going to have some wiggle room um, if he chooses to do so, because Tarasenko's salary will come off of the salary cap while he's injured. And at five months before he's reevaluated, you could be another Month, month and a half to two months after that of rehab. So that that will come off. Now, does he want that to be the only way he makes it work? Absolutely not. Because then the GMs across the league have him over a barrel whenever 100%. they need to move that. But he could also take that time to see the progress of Mikola, see the progress of Perunovic, see how Vince Dunn is responding, maybe in a, move a, then. a bigger role. And then it allows him to make a move with leverage because he has actual pieces that people want. I'll say this, too, about having all of those defensemen on your roster. Uh, you got guys who can play on the left side that are right-handed shots. It's not ideal, but Pareko plays very well on the left side if you need him there. Yeah, it's just so uncomfortable, man. It is, I've been down you, that road, and it's like putting your shoes on the wrong feet. You can still run the race, but it doesn't feel very good. Even if you give him a full season of it, though? Like, say, ah, it sucks, you're on man. this side? It yeah. sucks. For transition, it really is hard. And I explained this once before. You have blind spots, right? So when you, if you're a left-handed defenseman and your your toes are pointed up the ice, you see the entire sheet of ice in, in front of you because that's the way your body is positioned. If you're playing the wrong side of the ice, you have to position yourself almost backwards to the other team's end, which means your toes are pointed towards your net. So on transition plays, yeah, you could say take it on your backhand, but even still you've got to look in a direction, and then your only play is a board play, not to the middle of the ice or not a successful offensive play. It makes it very, very difficult. Players, defensemen specifically, who play on the wrong side are very, very unique in being able to do it, much like switch hitters would be in baseball. Yeah, it's, it's a really unique talent. Sounds similar to left tackle versus right tackle in the NFL, too, where it's a little different. It sounds almost even harder in the NHL to do this defensively, but tackles will tell you, hey, it's not just as simple as switching from one side to the other. Everything from your footwork completely changes. It's the opposite whenever you go from the left side to the right side, and you have to retrain your brain oh, yeah. to be able to do that. So it, it sounds like it's that way as well. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. The Junk Drawer is coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. I'll get things started for us in the Junk Drawer today, boys. I'm pretty sure that um, Anthony Stalter must have been out in California with me over the weekend. Uh oh. Were you that drunk? No. Was he visiting the Sharks? No. It's giants? No. Nope. <laughs> it's uh, one of the two. So cl- actually, he might have been driving up the freeway because we all know, and we saw last week when the fast lane was running a little late to be able to return to the station after oh, yeah. they had mistakenly gone out to Ballpark Village. Well, out in California, <laughs> there was a driver ticketed three separate times in a single day. For speeding. Wow, that's a talent. Three times, one day for speeding. The worst offense. Again, a reminder, this was Anthony Stalter out in Southern California. (laughs) Slander. The worst offense was when Anthony Stalter out in California, SoCal, was driving 120 miles per hour on the freeway. I thought this man was. I didn't know that was possible. Can you do that without being in I thought the speedometers usually just blew up at that point? The carpool lane's the only way you can achieve that. I thought he 
was rehabilitated from his issues with his speeding. He had told us all about how he is no longer a repeat offender. Not only was he a repeat offender, he did it three times in a day, with one being a potential felony offense. 120 miles an hour on the highway. Well, they say it's more relaxed out in California, right? And so maybe Anthony got mistaken with that and thought that they were more relaxed on the speeding criteria as well. And, wow, it looks like it bit him, uh, you know, where the sun don't shine, boys. We're good. I feel like when you get pulled over the second time, you just have to sit out of driving for the remainder of the day. It's all about being there. It's all about doing business, boys. Unless, all about doing business. Unless for the you're police. Jamie Rivers, who has his jersey in the back seat and just throws it on and Good point. gets out of a ticket. That's right. Speaking of throwing on a jersey, Jimmy Butler has thrown on a jersey uh, big time for the Miami Heat here in the playoffs. And uh, guys, I got a question for you. Um, Everybody talks about how hard these bubbles are, right? The NHL players, or we miss our families, we miss this. and Oh, how difficult they are. Yeah, it's yep. diffi- difficult well, to be inside be. the bubble. NBA players talking about how long it's been, and we've had a couple instances where they've left the bubble, even for chicken wings and things like that. But uh, Jimmy Butler says, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, no. My family, I'm blocking them from coming to the bubble because um, contrary to popular belief, this is a business trip for me. I'm not messing around. So your thoughts on that, guys, uh, are we putting too much into these guys uh, wanting their families to be there? Or are you with Jimmy Butler saying, hey, you know what? We're here to do business. I think it depends who you ask. I saw a really heartwarming um, video the other day with Fred Van Vliet, who saw his family for the first time in a month. Um, We all saw the social media post from Tyler Bozak's wife of the first time that he was able to see his kids when he got back here in St. Louis. I think there are absolutely certain players where this is really difficult for them, like really difficult to be away from their family, especially knowing that there is a pandemic taking place and they are up a a lot of them. And I think you said this previously, Jamie, you feel safe in this bubble, right? You're in this environment and you trust everybody around you. You know, all of them are doing the things to keep you safe and you're doing the same for them. And we go back home or when you think about your family, that's back home, you just want them to be able to be there with you to be safe. If nothing else, because you know that inside of that, everybody's going to be okay. And so I think it's really hard for some of them, but I'm sure there are absolutely other players like Jimmy Butler that are like, listen, this is great. I just go out there and I I go to the hotel room. I leave the hotel and go play ball. I come back to the hotel. I practice and then I go back up again. So part B to this then is when Jimmy Butler does leave the bubble, is he going home to sleep on the couch? Yes. Yes. Actually, I don't think that couch will be available either. His stuff will be packed and in a hotel room for him. It'll be a couch in the outside side in the backyard mine would be burned actually there would be a viral video everywhere of my stuff being burned in a barrel somewhere speaking of things being burned guys have you seen what uh what happened in boston with the red sox yesterday no so things might start burning down in boston Uh oh of course red sox beloved by so many so after the trade deadline where they stood pat really didn't do much the red sox decided to put a tweet out of a button being pressed that says reset. Oh, meaning God, yes, it's I about saw to start that. tanking. And the first thing I think of is we give so much ish to the Cardinals and everything like that. Can you imagine what happens in St. Louis if that picture was sent out from St. Louis? I don't know. 
I don't know. Here's where I go with it. I, I think, first of all, I absolutely respect the fact that the Cardinals and Danny Mack and Randy were talking about it this morning in, in their crossover of like there's only been in the last, what, decade, there's only been two games that were meaningless for playoffs yeah. without playoff implications. Yeah. So you have to you have to respect that and appreciate that as a Cardinal fan. Heck yeah. But I do think there's some value in doing the reset. And I think that there's a large part of the fan base here in St. Louis that would almost go, finally, we're just going to admit it. Totally disagree. I agree, too. <laughs> to- totally do disagree. I, no, I, I agree with BK. Like, I... I, that would I, not be the case. I no. think people would exhale no. and be like, finally, we're just going to eat the bullet here. You and- know what happens whenever you do that? Because when you hit the reset, you can't do a soft reset yeah. where it's one year of being bad. You get a nice draft oh, yeah. pick and then that guy just comes up right away and you're suddenly a contender. No, you suck. No. <laughs> it's three to four years of committing fully to, as they say in Philadelphia, the process. <laughs> and you're going to stink. And not only lead to, as they say in Philadelphia, the process, and you're going to stink. And not only are you going to stink, every player that you enjoyed watching, Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, Jack Flaherty, they're gone too because they cost too much. They're going to be old by the time that you're going to contend again. So all those guys that you enjoy, that you're you're in the hot jerseys, names, eh? you're just burning me with the hot names. I'm <laughs> already taking a beating. Come on, Jamie, no way. They played in the NLCS last year. Okay, first of all, that was overachieving big time. It set them up for almost failure this year by doing hey, that. A reminder, this is yeah. Jamie Rivers talking all Jamie right Rivers. It was. I, let's I be honest. I do agree with that, though. Let's be honest. It set the expectations way yeah. too high this year for the team. If they miss that NLCS, you're seeing other things happen. Other the things season. happen, yeah. So, but I'm not saying that, you know, we have to do it to be stupid about it. But yeah. there are a lot of people who text in on a regular basis, say, "Why don't we just give all the young guys a chance to play? Get rid of some of the old money and just kind of bite the bullet here." So that's all I'm saying. I'm trying to be the voice for a lot of our text line. Most of baseball, that's the route they should take. The, the teams that are out there that don't have this kind of a fan base where they want to be able to keep up every single day and they want their team to contend every day that they play, those markets, you can get away with this. It's, it's going to be tough in Boston, but they've seen this before where they stink for a couple of years. They end up going out there. They get those big contracts. They really compete. They maybe win a World Series, and then they go back through that cycle again, and it's just a never-ending cycle up there. That's not how it works here. You've got to be contending at all times. And if you get too high up or too low down, that cycle starts and now you're in trouble. So I I absolutely do not think that this fan base has any appetite for that whatsoever. We're getting some. It's a 50-50 split right now on the text line. 65782. You can give us your opinion on if the Cardinals at some point should just reset it and start all over. I don't necessarily mean tank, but... Give all the young players a chance to develop and move on. Uh, you know, I'm said I'm torn. Yeah. I love what Mo has done here. It's been an incredible ride for all of us. But also, on the other hand, I'm like, yeah, maybe the reset could speed up things in the future. I like it conceptually. <laughs> I think it is the right way to go about doing it. I think it is with what we've seen across baseball. Like the Dodgers are a super team right now. That team is going to be difficult to beat in a typical postseason this year, kind of excluded. I don't. I just don't think that this is the fan base that's going to be able to do that. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service sex line, though. If you want to give Jamie a piece of your mind, feel free to do so. <laughs> he is the one that said that the Cardinals should blow it up. Speaking of the Cardinals, I'm going to go ahead and continue to be positive Pete today. The offense, 
Not as bad as you think it is. I'll tell you why, coming up. You know, right now, when you're looking at outfield production, it hasn't been what we had hoped for. I mean, you, you pull uh, everybody out of that equation other than Dexter, and from an offensive standpoint, we're not where we need to be. And so I think what you're going to see is trying to find someone to get hot and, and to do that. But, you know, from an evaluation standpoint, I think, you know, we're in a unique situation. So, you know, my hope is, is that guys are still going to get opportunities out there to see what we have. So then we can have a, a, a true strategy and one that we can then chase this offseason if we feel like we have to go external to answer um, what we need to look like. So we were going to talk about the offense and how it's better than you think. I was going to be positive Pete over here, but Jamie struck a nerve. <laughs> struck a nerve. Never said that before. <laughs> and we are going to stick with what he just said. Would you be in favor of the Cardinals hitting the full reset? Deciding, you know what? What we are doing is not working. Yes, we went to the NLCS a year ago. We feel like we have had a consistent contender, but we have not been able to reach those early 2010s levels of peak performance. We have not been able to be a legitimate World Series contender over the last five to seven years. So instead, we are going to hit the reset button. We believe that is the best way for us to not only build a contender, but to build a title contender. And I do think there's a differentiation between the two. That's what Jamie just said. Now, wait. Let me put it in context okay. here, okay? I threw it out there just like we're sitting at the end of the bar and probably a little six or seven deep, and all of a sudden I'm like, hey, you know what? What if the Cardinals decided to blow it up a little bit? Do you hear him softening this already? I'm not, but I, I see him trying me, to hop I'm back not, on top of the fence, trying to get back to the other I, side. I have a lot, not, of, have a lot right. of experience with really controversial opinions, Jamie. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, you just you just keep doubling yeah. down. Hey, Ribs, do you need a seat for that fence that no, you're sitting on? I'm not at all. Trust me, I'm not, and I'm going to back that up right now. And my point to it, if, really thinking about it, was I led up to it saying they had a decade of, well, I'll call it dominance, but where there's only two games per Danny Mack and Randy Carricker and doing some background check where it didn't have playoff implications for the Cardinals. If that's the case, then what about a rebuild to go into like a two, three, four years where, yeah, you're going to take your lumps. Yeah, but, but then you go into another decade of contending. Because there's a chance that it doesn't work. Look at Baltimore. Well, you got a chance that this way doesn't work either. Yeah. yeah. Well, either way, you're doing it, but you got to hope that you can strike gold with a player if you're taking them first overall. I mean, sometimes teams take trash first overall and it doesn't work. So 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The question at hand is, would you be in favor of the Cardinals going with a full reset and tanking for the next two to three seasons? I posted this up on my Twitter account, at BK Sports Talk. You can find this at 101 ESPN as well. They have retweeted it. Would you be in favor of the Cardinals going with a full reset and tanking I for the next two to three years? I'm sure you voted you with vote? your other I I voted. 15 <laughs> friends. <laughs> we are around 100 votes right now, and 35% of them have said yes. So you are in the vast minority here thus far. <laughs> I, I will say this. I think it can make some sense. I, I don't think it's an outlandish thing to say. I just think that there's a difference between is that the best route to take to get the Cardinals back to being a legitimate World Series contender, and is that something that this particular fan base has an appetite for? <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> Are they all no. calling you drunk, Shut Rims? up, Rims. <laughs> I, they're all calling you drunk, Rims. Oh, they are. They said you've never sounded more Canadian, Jamie. <laughs> well, you're not wrong. I, I just, 
this this market is different, man. If you don't have baseball that matters here, the summer months get really lean because there there's not a football team to start previewing, right? When I was in KC last year, we didn't talk about the Royals because they didn't matter. They were not relevant. But you had the Chiefs in town, so you just talk about the Chiefs. You just start previewing what the upcoming NFL season is going to be. And this market... It takes a while to get towards that hockey season. And eventually, you got to fill some time with the Cardinals. And the Cardinals here are always relevant. You could talk about the Cardinals here in December or January or July, and there are people that are ready to listen to that content because they are always relevant. They never go this route of tanking and becoming a bottom feeder. And that is with a purpose. There's a reason why they do that. Because I don't think with this fan base here in St. Louis, and this is credit to you as a fan, uh, this this is the most energized and engaged fan base, I think, in all of baseball. I, I, I do not believe that there is appetite for the tanking here in St. Louis. <laughs> Apparently not. 314. Can we get someone on this damn show that understands anything about baseball? I agree. I agree 100%. Right. And you know what? Per Ferrario's... Uh, opinion during the break that, yeah, if we traded Jack Flaherty, we could probably get a massive haul back. You do not put that trash on me, Jamie Rivers. You... I mean, you, I think it's a great point. Alex. You do not put that you trash on me. loser. What the what? hell? Part of the, part of the advantage, by the way, I do think this is an important part of the conversation. Part of the advantage of not going this route is that this fan base has an emotional connection with guys like Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. It's an emotional connection that is deeper than just something that you would have if you saw the first five years of their career and then they moved on elsewhere and then maybe came back later on. But what we saw on Sunday here with Wayno's complete game and the hug that those two had afterwards, that's emotional because we remember what that looked like in 06. We remember from where they were then and the journey they've been on to get to where they are today in 2020, all of those memories pop up in the back of your mind like a movie that's flashing across the screen as you're watching that hog that they have at the end of that uh, that game. That was a moment because there's emotion behind it. If you do the full resets, if you do go with the tanking route, that doesn't that doesn't exist anymore. Well, maybe it does. Uh, as maybe a Royals you, maybe fan, Wayne and are the guys you keep. You normally don't keep many of those guys. Oh, but maybe they're the guys you keep because the, the young guys that you bring in all that is no better time for leadership. I'll tell you, like if they went with this in the last three to five years, those guys aren't around anymore. They're not because you could get a return for an Adam Wainwright three, <laughs> four years ago. Be too inclined to want to stick around. Either. Yeah, like th- there'd be no reason for them to be here. You you typically keep like one guy around for the long haul. You're just you're building around that guy. And my guess would be Jack Flaherty would be that guy this time around. Not according to what Riv said that I said. Why are you the way that you are? <laughs> I hate so much about the things that you choose to be. But it was a good point by Ferrario that he could bring back a massive haul. <laughs> so we have a quick update. On the results of the poll again at BK Sports Talk on Twitter, would you be in favor of the Cardinals going with a full reset and tanking for the next two to three years? Jamie Rivers is in favor of this. He says that the Cardinals are terrible and they have no chance of winning. <laughs> not and true. Therefore, <laughs> you might as well go full tank instead of just the half tank that they're Don't doing mess right now. There. I think I heard Riv said he was going to become a Royals fan now. No, that won't happen. That uh, wouldn't work out well. <laughs> nope. Uh, and. So far, 31% of the audience is behind him. We are 250 votes in. 31% say go with the full tank. So you're saying there's a chance. The best is yet to come. 
We had a teammate earlier today that I could relate with unlike anybody else here at the station. I'll tell you about it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I was listening to Brandy and Michelle earlier today. I have never felt more of a kinship with Michelle Smallman than I did earlier today. I understood what she was going through in a way that I don't think anybody else at this station quite did. Not yet. So here's what it sounded like earlier today as I turned on the app, the 101 ESPN app on my phone. It is free. You should download it along with the FanDuel Sportsbook. Promo code Brandon, B-R-A-N-D-O-N. You should download both of them. Both are free. So I was listening at 7 o'clock right as they came on. And here is what the conversation sounded like, which I was certainly not prepared to hear. Almost slept in today. A little frazzled. A little frazzled. Went to bed last night. Cardinals win. I wake up this morning. I grab my phone. It's dead. I'm like, I'm tapping the screen. I'm going, what? Is it busted? What's the deal? Normally, my body clock wakes me up at the latest at 5.15 in the morning. I saunter into the living room, look at the clock on my DVR. It's 6.30 in the morning. So we hustled here today. We hustled, but we made it. We made it. It's kind of amazing that we've done this show for, what, four months? Yeah, it'll be four months on Friday, I think. And that you, Scott, or I, not one of the three of us has overslept or been late. So talk about a jinx. So, I can relate up to the very end there. She, she hasn't officially been late. No, she arrived apparently this morning, like right before the show started. So she was there. As the show opened up. So, you really don't have anything in common. Yeah, you guys have nothing in common. she didn't miss an hour and a half of the show. I didn't miss an hour and a half. I missed 30 minutes. So, <laughs> don't misremember things. So, oh, these jerks went back through our podcast page earlier today. And from the days of Stalter and Rivers, I have not heard this. I don't want to hear this. I'm cringing just thinking about it. They pulled the moment when I walked back through the door as I was maybe 30 minutes late arriving to a radio show that started at 10 o'clock. Nobody knows where Kylie is. HR decides we can't give you an address here. Maybe we do a little wellness check. Maybe get the police involved. A little wellness oh, check. Geez. We're <laughs> minutes away from the police arriving at BK's door. Do you know how embarrassing that would have been? <laughs> as HR's picking up the phone to dial... Law enforcement, maybe do a wellness check. BK calls Mike Ryder back. Now, I was just sleeping like a baby. I mean, naturally, that's what people do until 10 o'clock in the morning on a random Wednesday in the middle of the week when they have their dream job. It's, it's what you do. <laughs> yeah, I just happened to sleep in past 10 a.m. <laughs> the best part about that. I get a reminder. I, f- I feel so. I totally understand what Michelle was feeling this morning as she woke up at 630. Because I previously woke up at 10. So I've been there. A backstory to this, okay, is we had David Payne here before was working the board. And before you got here, because we know how dedicated you are and how much that would rattle you to have slept in for almost the whole show. But anyways, um, <laughs> 30 minutes was the whole show. <laughs> we had an over under on how many times you would say you're sorry. And it didn't even have to be on air. It could have been off air, anything. Oh, we man. said it at like eight and a half. He probably had to say it like 15, 16 times. Said it twice. Really? He said sorry twice. Mike Ryder was actually, because he came in, you know, they used to split. David Payne and Mike Ryder would come in. We were in shock 
We were like, twice, BK. Twice. We're like, he really doesn't care. Wow. He really I'm not doesn't care. To the craft. Wow. He's sleeping like a dog on his back with his paws up, belly out, no problem. Comes in, sorry, twice. Let's get back to business. Wow. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. How in the hell do you oversleep <laughs> for a show that starts at 11 o'clock, sir, ma'am? We started at 10 at that point. It was a big difference. <laughs> big difference. A big difference. If you were wondering why we now start at 11 o'clock, well, first of all, they didn't trust me and Jamie and Ferrario to do the full four hours. That's Second of all... Probably well played. It was because, Smart you move. know, I maybe a month into my employment <laughs> here at Hubbard Radio, the second time around, I may have missed the first 30 minutes of the show because I overslept. What it's was uh, What was particularly enjoyable about that, morning that you really didn't say you're sorry for. Anyways, God, uh, two times, BK, that's twice. Bad. We were like, he's going to say it easy. We're like eight and a half might even be low. I put it at and like that 15. Was like professional, professional gambler Anthony Stalter said it yeah. at eight and a half and we're like, okay, I, I took the over. Because I'm like, he's going to be so like rattled. I would have hit the over in the first hour probably. Yeah, no, two times. And he was like, let's yeah. move along here because really I don't care. Um, but I will say what was particularly enjoyable that morning was BK is also our producer, mm. right? So as much as we throw topics out there and this and that and the other, BK polishes up the turd all the time and sets it down for... We're coming in here. Literally, they gave us a keys to Ferrari with a blindfold on. At what point did you... I, I don't even know if we talked about this that, at that point in time. By the way, that was in March. So <laughs> I've gone a solid six months now of not being late for our show, which I believe deserves a little more credit than I've been given by the two of you. Let's get you a ribbon. Oh, good for you. So at what point did you realize... Oh, BK might not be coming. BK, well, BK might be dead. The first thing, listen, you're always in here before us. Yeah. And Stoltz and I would arrive 30 to 40 minutes ahead of the show, and no BK. Like, it's black in the office. And we're like, okay, that's a little abnormal. Maybe he's running late, this, that, the other. We start checking the email for the rundown. No rundown. It's still the day before his rundown. So we're like, okay. And then right up to the crossover, we're still optimistic that, you know, hey. <laughs> yeah, he might show up 10 minutes before might. the show. Then it Never actually, it, but it, maybe. It went to worry. Because I'm like, okay, this is so out of character for, for BK that, you know, we got, and HR got involved. <laughs> and it was actually, and then so Stalter and I'm like, okay, well, here we go. And we had some rough ideas. And obviously, yeah. Anthony Stalter is a pro. I'm not, but Anthony Stalter is a pro. And we handled it and we got through, we battled through. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it w- was definitely a moment that we're watching the clock to see, you know, when you might show up. And, uh, Text line never fails again, 65780. Uh, from the 314, Rivers was a month late for his show. A month? Actually, it was about two, two and a half, three months. <laughs> it was about two and a half months. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, and uh, my phone was dead, too. Yeah. I will In <laughs> Canada. <laughs> I will give Michelle a lot of credit for this. She was not late for her show. I was 30 minutes late for my show. She's been doing it for four months now. I was doing it for two months at that point. Her show starts at 7. Ours started at 10. So All I'm hearing, though, is that she still made it here for the beginning That's of the show. what I'm saying. That's she deserves a lot more credit than I did for, yeah. for what I was unable to. I tell you what, sometimes, BK, you remind me of Donald Trump. <laughs> Joey Vitale. Joey Vitale chiming in. Dynamite drop-in. Dynamite drop-in, Joey. That's Jamie.
He's Alex. I'm BK. There's a lot still up in the air for the 2021 NHL season. And there was a really good report on this earlier today. So we're going to start in December. We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. So the NHL's 2021 season's got some questions that they've got to answer. And now that the Blues are out of the playoffs, unfortunately, we got to start looking at this. When are the Blues going to be back? When are we going to be able to watch them once again? And, Jamie, uh, the answer appears to be nobody knows. Yeah, no kidding. Nobody seems to know. <laughs> um, the NHL is not committed to having bubbles for next regular season, but they're also not sure if or when they're going to be able to have fans in the stands. And so if you can't have fans, does it make more sense to have them in the bubble? That's what they're trying to figure out right now. And according to ESPN, they talked to one NHL team executive that said that their club is down to three different scenarios for fans at the start of next season. Three scenarios. One, obviously, no fans. Another one would be a progressive projection, which starts with no fans, then eventually increases to 50%, and then by the end of the season up to 90%. Oof. And the final option, the third scenario that they're looking at, is the optimistic case in which arenas open with some fans and the prog- progression goes from 50% capacity to 75%, and then by the end of the season up to 90%. Here's my question to you guys. First of all, do you think there's going to be able to be fans in the stands next year? And second of all, if there's not, don't you kind of have to start in a bubble of some sort? Otherwise, what's what's the reason that you would have these teams in their home markets to start the season? Okay, so here's what I know so far. And what I know so far is the NHL is really, really, really examining two things. Major League Baseball and then the upcoming NFL season. Mm-hmm. Because Major League Baseball is a league that has gone to playing in their own buildings and not having a bubble and traveling around. And they've had some hiccups with that, okay? Mm-hmm. not Now, not as many as I thought they would have. At least to date, knock on wood. Sorry, Major League Baseball. But they've had some hiccups. And with the NFL, so much like the NFL had runway to be prepared for everything, which they didn't do a great job. They could have done better at it. The NHL is going to view that because we've seen the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know if we've talked about it. They had a practice where they put in. I think it was 2,000, 2,500 fans. 2,500 fans just to see how operationally it would work and how they could maybe pull it off. And I do think the NFL will be pioneers in that way of getting yeah. fans in the stands. We've said it for a long time. I know it's outdoor stadiums for the most part, and there's uh, risks that may not be great, as great. But I do think the NHL is going to monitor both those situations. I do think that possibly a shorter season, maybe a 60 to 62 game season. And that was also something the, that was included for in the this NHL. Article. And they do it like baseball to start the season where they're in their hometowns. Because right now the players have proven that they alone, the players alone and the staff can go without contracting the virus. They've had another week of no COVID-19 in the bubble. So I think that they've proven that they can do that. Now, can they do it in the general population with their own cities to be determined? But I do think my final prediction, my final answer here is that they start like baseball did this year, and they end up like the NFL with some capacity of fans in the stands. Yeah, I just I don't see how a bubble is going to be possible. I think I said this on the fast lane last week with the guys. It, it, you're not going to have players 
opt in for a bubble season. Like, it's just, it's not going to be possible. Those guys aren't going to be willing to do it. And it was talked about in that article on ESPN.com that NHL demands gate revenue. Like, that's how they survive. So to start in a bubble, you're already eating $170, $175 million just for this bubble. To go into a bubble in November or December for two or three months. I mean, you're talking about massive pay cuts for everybody, and I don't know if they'd be able to survive that. So I truly believe that they're planning a December-January start so that they can start this progressive chart of, okay, NFL has done this and they've been successful. Baseball has done this and they've been successful. Let's start with this progressive, and maybe it's 10%, and we work our way to 25%, but they got to get butts in the seats because they cannot survive without it. So another NHL team executive in this story from ESPN.com explained that he thinks that you're going to have to rotate some of the season ticket holders. He said if the season capacity is 25%, um, if that's where they start at, the season ticket holders would attend one out of every four games. So they would basically rotate it to where if you're a season ticket holder, you get to go to game number one, and then you're back on game number five. So it's basically a starting rotation schedule, but you're doing so for games. So that, that could be difficult. We also had a text... Uh, from the 314, how much would tickets cost if you end up at a lower capacity? Yeah, I don't know if they can really fluctuate that much. You'd be surprised. Huh. Look at the NFL tickets. Let's use this as as kind of an indicator, right, of what we could potentially see in the NHL. The Texans, the Patriots, and Raiders. I've got some numbers on what they're charging for tickets for individual games right now at the lower capacity. The Texans are charging $400 to $700 for an individual ticket on the lower level. That is not the secondary market. That's nothing That is to be able to go to the game. For the game to play? You should be able to. You're the backup quarterback. (laughs) You're the running back like Ferrari. O'Brien might sign you. He could. The club level seats for the Texans in Houston, $600 to $800 per ticket. Upper level, so you're up in the nosebleeds now. $200 200 to 400 dollars per ticket. The Raiders out in Las Vegas, 300 to 500 for lowers, 500 to 600 for the club, and 150 to 300 for the upper level. Out in New England, your neck of the woods, Jamie, 400 to 600 for the lower level, 600 to 700 for the club, and 200 to 300 for the upper. Basically, you are paying an arm and a leg no matter where you want to sit to be able to go to these games in the NFL. Question right now about those prices. Are those active sales right now, or that's projected? No, that's what they were selling for. That's what the expected prices were for these tickets. Okay, so they haven't sold any of these yet, though, right? I think a lot of these have already been sold. So has the NFL already, and I may be buried in the back of a closet somewhere here, but has the NFL already come out and said, yeah, absolutely 100% we're going to have fans in the stands? I think there's 10 teams that are moving forward. Right? Okay. I know that the Chiefs are at 20% right now. Um, we got somebody from the 636. I have season ticket hold, uh, season tickets to the Chiefs. I got my ticket in the upper deck, upper level, $200 for the season opener. Upper level. I, as somebody that has Sounds gone... Like you got a deal compared to some of the other places. As somebody that's gone to plenty of... Chiefs games for upper level seats. If I don't know where these particular tickets are, you're typically looking at 100, 110 bucks. So that's about I, double I the price. S- I will say though, the NFL is much different in terms of price range with hockey. I mean, the most for for hockey that you're paying, if in terms of seats in the stadium, is lower 100 level to be like t- towards the right, like about 150 somewhere around there to sit on the glass. Well, in Toronto, you're looking at 400. 
But that, I'm going That's up in Toronto. Toronto. Yeah, Toronto, like those big markets. Yeah, St. Louis. I'm. I mean, you're talking. You could get to a game for sixty five bucks yeah. in St. Louis. I bet you're at least doubling that. I just this don't year, know if it's going to be lower capacity. So I don't know if the supply and demand it, it, for your average hockey fan, or even like a lot of the sales, the ticket sales are corporate, right? And right. so they use those in different ways. And I, I understand they get a bulk amount of money for these bulk tickets, and they're more flexible with their prices that way. But for, you know, you and me and Ferrario to go and grab a game, I just don't know if people will pay those premiums. It's the part I'm on. The NHL doesn't draw those premiums on a normal basis. Now, can they get there at some point? They're trending in that direction, or they were at least trending in a direction to where they could command higher prices. I just don't know if they'll be able to do that. I think that they'll have to start out maybe a little more fan friendly on some of those prices. Yeah, I mean if you if you spike those prices and try and double or triple it to get more money back because you're only putting 25%, you're not going to get anybody coming because people would rather just stay home and watch it for free. And hockey fans like see through that. And they'll be pissed. Yeah. They'll be like, "Don't you try to pull extra." Yeah. First of all, where are the, some of these people going to get the money? There's a lot of people who I've been affected by all mm-hmm. this. It's 4,500 people, though. If if they go to 25% capacity, I guarantee you the Blues could find 4,500 people to pay double ticket prices for the first 20 games of the season. And I don't know you if know? you could tell season ticket holders yeah, that you got to pay more money. They pay double. You, you don't have to. You can opt out. Yeah, that, that's, that's what they're doing in Kansas City. So, that's what they're doing across the league. You, you, you uh, still have those tickets for the future. You're not opting out of your seats. But for this season, because it is such a crazy world right now, hey, Everybody's trying to make an extra buck. The Blues are no exception. They are a business, and if they can have 25% capacity and they can charge as if they have 50 because they're doubling the prices, don't don't be surprised if that's something that happens. We're seeing this all over the place, especially in the sports world, where, where we're finally seeing the capacity reduced. I think it's going to be a tough sell here in St. Louis. I think that the, the Blues ownership and all of their front office have done an incredible job of building trust with the fan base here and... Tom Stillman has done a great job of spending to the cap and making sacrifices and helping the fans and being fan-friendly. I just don't know if the Blues can do that to themselves, is to throw it out there at a high risk of losing people that are coming to your games now or that are Blues fans from the big Stanley Cup run. Do you come and now hammer them over the back of the head with double ticket prices? I think, to your point, you could get your 4500 but do you lose a percentage of your fan base because they're like, nah, it's just out of my league? Yeah. I don't think so. I, I think maybe they say, hey, I can't go this season. And, and maybe some of them are upset. Like, my dad's a chief season ticket holder. He's not thrilled about the fact that they were going to charge him, I think it was like three times their typical prices for his seats. And so he said, I'm not going to games this year. Like, if, that, if that's what you're charging for those seats, I can't do it for this fall. And he's not happy about it. He's like, I, I want to go out and tailgate for all of these games. I would love to have my seats. He's upset. He'll be back next year. Guaranteed. 100%. No chance. No questions asked. He will be back next season if it's back to the regular situation. And I, I could be wrong here. Maybe I am. But I think you're going to have a lot of people that are like that here in St. Louis. If they end up at 25% capacity, you will have some people, maybe a majority of people, that say, I can't do that. I'm not willing to pay those prices for those seats. But I'll be back next year. What I'm interested to see is the, the luxury suites. Yeah. Because those predominantly are corporate-based. And... You can't, if you're spacing people out in an arena to abide by code or whatever the rules will be put in place there, you can't get a bunch of people who are co-workers and jam them into a luxury suite. Yeah, you're talking 11 to 15 people in a suite. And those are big money. Those are big revenue generators. Now, what I have heard in loose discussions from some people around the NHL is that they will consider those family suites 
in the future. And the corporate dollars will have to be given somewhere else. But family suites to where if you have 10 to 12 people that are a family, they put them together in one of those suites. That's one of the other things the NFL is doing. They're requiring you to buy four seats at a time. So oh, wow. It, so oh. you're not just going to pay double. Yeah, well, you're also going to buy four. Yeah, so, what's that? You don't want to drop 400? Well, how about 1,600? Oh. Remember how we talked about the pods that they're doing? So you can buy tickets and up to groups of six. Apparently, it's a, a requirement that you have to have at least four of those six buying at the same time. So it could be like the three of us and we've got one other buddy uh, that we're close with and we all, all go in on the tickets together, right? And now that those are our people. When we get to the stadium, we all are with that group and that's our bubble, quote unquote, for the game. I wouldn't be surprised if you see something like that with those those luxury suites where you've got, okay, we can fit 10 people in here, but you have to come together. It can't be something where all of you are like separate yeah. entities meeting in this same place. You've got to all be in this together, and that's the way that you're able to I wonder to do where it. concessions would go. Because as it is right now, some people have some gripes of you know, the $12 point. beer. I wonder if the concessions follow the ticket prices. If so, then I'm going to go back to my original point and saying you're eliminating another percentage of people that can't go. Yep, It's a tough call, man. I really feel for the NHL. I really feel for the Blues because Tom Stillman, he's an awesome owner. That's an awesome group, and this is just tough times. Just yeah. sucks. One thing they might follow, Atlanta was an interesting case study on this. They actually lowered the prices for their concessions and made more money as a result because people ended up buying more stuff buying more. while they were there, and they made more. It, it, the margins were obviously smaller, but because people bought so much more, they ended yeah. up making more revenue off of their concessions. So I wonder if we see other teams maybe looking at that and saying, hey, we got reduced capacity. Maybe we try this for this season. Yeah, but Atlanta did that with full capacity, right? Right. That's a I'm... different animal than only having 4,500 people. Right. But if you're going to charge even more, you're going to have fewer people from that limited capacity that are buying them. So Not according to you, Brendan. The best is yet to come. We'll cross things over next on the fa- with the fast lane. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Crossing things over with the fast lane. We've got Brad Thompson in studio. BT, what's up, man? Nothing. I'm going to tell you guys this. You know how to welcome somebody into the studio. Because I came in, you guys started doing the, the rah-rah and cheering, <laughs> and I appreciated the hell out of it. The like, best uh, is yet We got to stop. We can't play that it anymore. It feels good. Like, if you don't know what that's from, it's fantastic. You know, people got up in arms the other day when you were playing it. I had no clue what that was from until you guys told me. I had no, no idea either, but apparently people are leaving the show now because we tell fart jokes, which I haven't told one all day. Yeah, okay. we haven't done that at all today. And we're playing that from, I don't even know if that's recognizable, but um, whatever. I'll just say this. If you're listening right now and you're pissed off, this is BK and Ribs. No. The Fast Lane <laughs> is coming This is this Ribs. Is Ribs and BK. Rivers show oh, that you know happens throws, to feature BK. You know what throws me off is that how big the BK is on the thing. Like I feel like that should right? be first. Right. Okay. It's, it's, it sounds to me like somebody, while well, they got their promotion during the pandemic, Since we're only going to use two of my letters, can they be yeah. huge? <laughs> Yeah, since he gets three letters, I get two. Can we just make them, like, enormous? At part of the gets, negotiation. At least he gets promo codes like Brandon. Yeah. So that's good. That's always positive. <laughs> the By the way, if you are going on to FanDuel, do use Brandon. B-R-A-N-D-O-N. Uh, or W-X-O-S-1, because that's as easy to remember. 
Wouldn't recommend using that one. Definitely a Brandon. B-R-A-N-D-O-N. Uh, by the way, if you're using the FanDuel Sportsbook app, maybe you could get in a few props for Joe Mixon. There were some questions as to whether or not uh, he was going to hold out for this season. He's not going to have to. Got a four-year, $48 million deal from the Cincinnati Bengals, keeping him in Cincinnati with Joe, uh, Joe Burrow for at least the next four years. But they're ready to win, right? You pay the guy. They're ready to win now. You bring in your guy. You pay your running back. Like I, I feel like there's some stank when you when you say this news, BK. I feel like they, oh. there's a little something like you're upset about. He this. loves he running hates, backs. Hates running backs. Mixon's a good oh, he does? running backs. I like running backs that can help you in the passing game, and Joe Mixon can help you in the passing Fine, game. Right? I think the Saints are being ridiculous by not paying Alvin Kamara. You might right want to do that, especially with Drew Brees uh, on the like. He's got what another year? Two yeah, years? Winston. This is, this is probably his last year in New Orleans. You might want to just and pay the guy and get it going. You got two guys yeah. there, you know. Jameis, Christian Jameis McCaffrey, Jameis. Alvin Kamara, Joe Mixon. These are guys you pay. Derrick Henry, Leonard Fournette. Not guys you pay. Christian McCaffrey. That's what I said. I know. I'm in favor of that one. What if you're in a I position like, like you know, with Derrick Henry? Did you hate his deal? Because I thought his deal was, it was pretty team friendly. It's shorter. three years, right? Yeah. That's not bad. And. As good as Tannehill was last year, and I know the percentages, everything was through the roof. Like, do you really believe no. that he can carry you? So, yeah, I think sometimes you're kind of hamstrung into paying that guy. But year in and year out, we keep seeing the these running backs. We're like, where the hell did that guy? Where did he come from? Oh, the fourth round? Cool. And you're paying him nothing? Great. And then he gets replaced by another guy in a similar situation. I think that they're outliers. I absolutely agree with the, the idea that if you can help in the passing game, then let's do this. You know, I, I, and I, I think there are some guys that you just pony up and pay. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm fine with Mixon. I'm not on team running backs don't matter. I'm on teams run, team running backs probably don't matter quite as much as you think that they do. And if you're going to pay them, they better help you in the passing game. That, that's kind of the path that I go BK's down. on the team running backs. Once you've shown me that you're really good, then I'm on board. Otherwise, I'm out. He's going to prove it. Yeah. I think that's kind of fair. I know. Well, we we, we know how. on the running backs. I got a soft spot for those guys. Well, I get it because they just slam their heads in. Well, they get like four years of like, yeah, this is it. Yeah, that was Rivers' NHL career. Dude, hey, easy with that crap, okay? Because that's about where I'm at. Yeah, easy. No, it was a good thing. He was running his head. He was running his head. You guys got combined here. Yeah. It was his game running his head into the boards. That's why those cards. Four years, for Why? sure. Oh, I got the medical history. You no, know, I forgot it. to ask you. You ever punch yourself in the head so hard that you blacked out? Punch myself in the head? Yeah, you ever do that? Not to where I blacked out, but you definitely have some experiences. As a young kid going yeah. in to play junior hockey, yes, I definitely sat there and punched myself in the face sometimes to see yeah. how much I could take. I know that sounds really questionable. <laughs> that but sounds? You've got, you've got to get a You've got to get a feel for just how much can you actually take yeah. without actually going out like to the bar fight. I told you about punching myself, right, at, at uh, in... in uh Boston at Fenway? No, I have not heard this yet. I don't think I, I had a bad day. Either. I had a bad day. We got a second? Yeah, we got a second. Sure. I had a bad day. About 180. 180 seconds. Perfect. <laughs> had a bad day. I was with the Royals. This is about the end of my career. And I think that this, the the overall chain of events is probably what got me out of uh, out of Kansas City. That and the ERA. Like, those two things combined. <laughs> 
But, like, I, I I come into the game. I ended up giving up, like, six runs. It was bad. I mean, there's hammering stuff off the monster. Big Poppy hit a three-run homer to center. Like, it, it wasn't going good. Oh, was it, it all was, that different than the rest of the Royals pitching at that point? It wasn't going worth. good. Yeah, I know. I was there, BK. <laughs> That's another things, shot. Things weren't good. Mine wasn't okay? a shot. I realized that. They changed the culture. I was gone. I understand. All these things happen. Uh, but, so I'm fired up. I, I get pulled out of the game, rightfully so. And I'm steaming on the bench, right? But I'm not, like, causing a, a scene or anything because, you know, I don't want to do that there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the third out hits. I give daps to whoever the pitcher was that got out of it, and it's warpath time, right? So I, like, I punch something, and then Kevin Seitzer was our hitting coach. He's coming up to things like, you need to calm down. I go, you know, Kevin, not right now. <laughs> not right now. I don't need it. Like, and... Hand like that. And anyways, I, I punch everything I can all the way up to the clubhouse, long walk. And then I finally, like, in my locker, I'm punching stuff, I'm throwing stuff. Uh, and uh, I run out of stuff to punch and throw. And I sit there in my locker and I just, I, I clench my fist and I punch myself in the head as hard as I could and, like, went black for a second and then came back. Well, at least you finally punched the right person. I know. What, I know. What things did you break on the way to the clubhouse? There were like, I didn't break stuff, but there's like, you know, uh, doors and lights and trash cans. Uh, trash cans. Ooh, just play play for the I, uh, I actually broke a toe one year kicking something in Arizona. <laughs> So I Did had you report that issues. one to the team? No. <laughs> no, I just I just stuck my foot inside my locker with ice on it behind all the clothes. Were, Were you the, the ones, like, when we used to do that, you'd have a unidentified, like, drinking injury from the night before, and you get to the rink early, and you get out on the ice, and all of a sudden, mysteriously, you take a puck, like, oh! off the inside of the oh, knee, God. right? Oh, my God, my knee, ah! There was a certain... I sounded like Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Happy Legato! <laughs> There was a certain um, player in Kansas City, I'll say it that way, Okay. Uh, that went on the injured list a few years ago um, for a stupid accident that took place around spring training. Uh, that accident may have been a slight cover-up for a previous accident that had taken place. Happens, man. So this good stuff, teammates uh, and teams do. They cover up <laughs> slight accidents. Tape you up, push you out on the ice, and someone runs you over. Oh, you got hit. Jamie, look out. Huh? <laughs> oh, my shoulder, coach. Why is Jamie lying for this wagon? <laughs> BT, what's coming up on the best man, line, We're going to have some fun. We're going to talk some Cardinals, talk some trade deadline. We're going to talk about the Big Ten because the Big Ten is going to be back. And we're going to tell you the, the, the player that is going to get the Cardinals over the top and into the playoffs. Well, it's Brad Miller. who that is. I think the glass slipper might have fallen off, Brad Miller. Cinderella, I don't know. Don't take a shot at Milsey. That's our guy. You can't do this. Was he on the show with you guys? No. no. <laughs> Still our guy. Nobody comes on the show. If they go on the show with us, they're back down hey, to the spring yeah, no, training like camp. The nog father, poor guy. He'll up and down, up and down. Taxi He's squad. Fine. He'll be back. Everything's fine. He's our guy, though, for real. That's coming up from 2 to 6. The fast lane. <laughs> For Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. I don't think the Nogfather's coming up with a fast lane, but he might be. You got to tune in from 2 to 6 to find out. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN.